You are listening to In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Hi, welcome. This is my show. Come have a seat. If you've somehow figured out how to get yourself to Provo, Utah, come have a seat. Sit in the corner. Be quiet. You can play uh, some of our arcade games that are here in the back because you are listening to the uh, official podcast of Film Quest. This is day three, right? It's time travel. I can't figure out what day it is. Day three of the film festival. Uh, but before I get into it, it's very important for me to say that we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be in this insane Airbnb without the support of our sponsor, Puget Systems. Now, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a sound engineer, if you're someone that needs a brand new computer, I would highly suggest you think about building yourself a PC. You can actually run all the same software that you run on a Mac on a PC. And many of you out there don't know how to build computers. I don't blame you. Is that motherboard going to work with the graphics card that you have? Is that actually going to work uh, with the memory that you're putting in there? How many times do you buy memory and install memory and it just doesn't load and you can't figure out why? Am I getting too nerdy? Uh, so what I've done and what you should do is go look for a company that builds computers for you. And Puget Systems is the best one on the West Coast. They build monster edit machines. I've got two of them. And we cut come home, our short, on their Puget System. And I was running at least 25 tracks of uh, full frame Alexa footage, real time, no stutter on my machine. And then we color graded in Resolve real time multiple tracks on my Puget system. They're more affordable, they're upgradable, their parts aren't soldered to the motherboard. So when the shit gets outdated two years ago, you don't have to throw it in the ocean. All right. So if you're in the market for a brand new computer, check out Puget Systems. And I wouldn't be here without the help of those guys, my favorite drinking buddies. It's a bummer that you couldn't come out with us. I miss you. All right, so uh, let me uh, start the show here. From CBS News, this is 30 Minutes with Betty Ann. of young people are blasting away at invaders from outer space and paying for the privilege. I'll be looking at the electronic game craze, which is Again, Mitch Murder giving us music for the show. Uh, first time I played the song on the show. It's cool, right? It's great. Honestly, George always talks about Mitch Murder, and I hear most of it through your show. And every time I'm like, oh, oh shut up, hold on. So uh, we're back. I'm here with my co-host, Lance A. Williams. Hey, hey. There he is. I love that you make a point of getting at me about the middle initial every time. <laughs> Wait, what's your middle name? I'm not going to tell you Fuck right now. Fuck off. You got one. <laughs> what is it? I'm going to start guessing. What, oh, so my middle initial is E. 
Eileen. Fuck off. We're done. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We're done. Show's over. Um, so, uh, yeah, day three, we just uh, hustled our asses back from the uh, Film Quest luncheon, mm-hmm. which yeah. was nice. Was everybody at the luncheon? You weren't at the luncheon. You guys? No, you weren't at the luncheon. That's right. Um, it was nice. Yeah. It's like a French yeah. restaurant. Had some uh, croissants. Nice and, little spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Uh, all like it's they used it as sort of a um, a speed dating thing, which was it was kind of awkward because there was a lot of us there trying to all speed yeah. date at the same time. Yeah. But uh, what I think is really interesting about this fe- film festival is that it really, out of all the film festivals that I've been in, and this isn't me just you know you know hugging you guys. Out of all the film festivals that I've been in, this one really seems to be family-oriented and really mm-hmm. seems to be about meeting people and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of feel like we're spoiled because we get one-on-ones with every, almost everybody here at the festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then uh, what did we do last night? Uh, yesterday, we, we watched a few of the shorts last night and then uh we hot tubbed uh, it hot tubbed it yeah 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 finally got to get in the it. hot tub yeah you guys should have all brought your bathing suits we have a eight person hot tub out back i forgot to tell you guys what, what, I mean, shit. you know we could do that yeah um we should have done the episode from that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh yeah we hot tubbed it and then we watched uh short films from the guests that are yeah. here today except for yours we haven't seen yours yet but um but yeah, yeah, we'll get you. Um, and uh, that was it, man. We we had to catch up. We're here for the full fucking run. So we're here for like 10 or 11 days, and uh, we had to catch up on sleep. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did last night. It's super fucking boring. Doesn't it sound like I'm 45 years old? It sounds like I'm 45 years old. <laughs> um, all right, whatever. Let's stop rambling. So we're, we're joined by quite a few folks today, talented filmmakers, talented, uh, like, Emmy, Emmy-nominated sound technicians are with us. Uh, you know, actors, people who have been acting since they were a kid. Um, I assume that you're, what is it, ASC? You're USC. I'm USC, USC. Fight on. There you go. And then we also have local um, Utah Provo-based or Salt Lake Provo? Provo-based productions happening as well. So round of everything, we're going to have each filmmaker introduce themselves, start at the beginning. Hi, my name is Kelsey Edwards. Um, I am an actress and filmmaker. I'm originally from Provo, actually, but I now live in LA, so that's kind of fun to be able to come back here. And I'm here with my short film, Box Boy, which is my directorial debut. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. That's your directorial debut? Yeah. We watched it last night. It's really good. Thank you so much. It's really good. It's really good. We have a lot lot to talk about. And we have a lot of things to ask you about Provo and and how it plays with that short. I have a lot to say. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm Patrick Hogan. Uh, I'm also from LA, mm-hmm. which is a common thing here. You go come all the way to Provo, Utah to meet a bunch of people who live in your neighborhood back in LA. <laughs> uh, this, this that's is, how it works. Yeah, that's how. This is my fourth time at Film Quest. Wow, man! So my fourth time in Provo, and this is my third film at uh, Provo. And then for the second year in a row, I'm doing a sound workshop, which I think is, I love that genre festivals do it and many festivals don't but genre filmmakers understand more than any mm. other filmmaker the importance yes. of sound because in addition to making my films i'm a uh supervising sound editor in los angeles mostly in television are you nominated for a sound award at this festival yes so so am i so that means i'm gonna fucking do <laughs> 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 no, let us yeah. have it you get the emmy all right <laughs> okay I, I, honestly I, I no offense i'd make that trade <laughs> But, but you know, here's the thing is, is it's art and 
yeah. you know, different films tackle sound in different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's many cool ways of doing it. So mm-hmm. there's many films. I've heard several films here that have great sound. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Great sound. So we'll get nerdy about this, man. I love this shit. Um, and then continue. Hey, everybody. Um, my name's Shubro Das. I'm a writer, director, and editor now. Nice. Um, based out of L.A. also. Uh, but I'm originally from India, but I went, but I lived in the UK for the last, lived in the UK for the last like 10 years or so, but very in cool. LA. Uh, my film's What Lies Within. Mm-hmm. It's playing on, uh, the 1st of November mm-hmm. and, uh, super excited to be here. Yeah. We saw it last night. We got a lot of questions for you. I'm excited to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> I love your facial expression right now. <laughs> this was me all through nightmares as well. I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay, were you, you, so were you in Nightmares Film Fest? I was, yeah. We yeah. were too. Were you, did you, were you there? I was there, yeah. I just got in last night, actually. Oh, fuck. Did you go to the screenings last night? I didn't go to the screenings last uh, night. I think screen. Our, our buddy Stu Valberg also is a great filmmaker. He was there with Pizzagate, and our thing screened there, but I couldn't get there because we were doing the show. Oh, so I was bummed. I'll catch it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to see how well it did at Nightmares. Uh, like a shout out to Nightmares. I know I'm teaming up with uh, Film Quest right now. I was going to try to get to Nightmares, but, you know, your boy got fucking stuck here, so no big deal. And also... Hey, everyone. I'm Trevor Free. Uh, I own the Utah-based production company, Black Rap and Monolith. Uh, we have two films here at FilmQuest. So uh, one that I actually produced, or my, my production company took it on, but I DP'd it, called The Handbook. Nice. Uh, Brandon Caraway directed it. It's going to be tomorrow at the, uh, the Utah Block. Mm-hmm. And then I directed a music video that's playing at the Utah Block as well called... If this is it, if this is all there is, I hope you live. I hope you live. Uh, title's an acronym, so it kind of looks like, you know, the cat got stuck on the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, it looks like something that was, like, scraped on the side of a, you know, a horror room wall at some point. Exactly, yeah. exactly. yeah. Uh, anyway, it's by the, the band Black Shape, and super grateful to be here. I just want to say the intro music for your podcast, incredible. Yeah, it's Mitch uh, I just thought we were going to dance the whole time. Like, that's, uh, that's what the podcast is. Yeah, the moves, the song. Yeah, that's the moves. <laughs> and, and I didn't want to be obnoxious, but usually I let it play for an obnoxious amount of time. That's usually what I do. But today we got it. a I lot of people it. here, yeah. Uh, all right, well, I'm very excited. We're all happy. Like Lance and I, like I said, we watched, with the exception of you, uh, last night, because uh, we, we actually added you at the, uh, at the meet and greet today. Late, late edition, yeah. yeah. But grateful to be here. Yeah, you're very, you have a very polite face. <laughs> You know, and so we were like, "This guy would be cool. This That's guy cool. would be cool." That's what my mom says too, because all the people listening, at, all the people listening at home, will really enjoy your polite face. We <laughs> gotta have somebody balance out us being assholes. We're like yeah. Trevor will do it. <laughs> I got, a, I got a face for podcasting. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, so while the mic's on you, let's start here, man. So I've been hearing. Uh, Jonathan, who uh, is one of the uh, founders of the festival, one of the guys running the film festival, he's constantly talking about how and why Provo is such a cool place to actually shoot and have productions. Um, I could see why visually, but is there really an infrastructure here? Is there is there stuff here for filmmakers to come here and shoot? Yeah, uh, Provo, I mean, Utah in general, but I mean, so Provo for me, because I live here, I rode a bike here, uh, <laughs> which which was fun. Um, it's it's an incredible place, incredible place to to live and to work. Um, you know, for for our production company at least, sometimes we'll find ourselves like working in L.A. or New York, which is which is amazing. Like I love the energy of of uh, the big cities, but it's nice to come back here and be able to uh, to stretch your legs. And um, I think Film Quest is kind of emblematic of what like the film community feels like here sometimes, mm-hmm. which is just like mm-hmm. really tight knit, family oriented. Uh, film Quest is such a such an amazing. Uh, film festival because it really feels like you're establishing like this community um and in a lot of ways i think uh utah is like that so it's 
it, there's so many awesome like it's it's such a, a nice place to shoot because there's so many awesome exterior locations. You can find anything you want here. Um, it's also an affordable place to to rent, an affordable place to uh, to shoot. So yeah, it feels like. It does feel kind of like a family. Which well, let's nice. say this because there's a lot of filmmakers that are listening to the show. A lot of people looking for locations. Like, what kind of location vibes do you think are here? Besides, like the fucking crazy epic mountain <laughs> scopes that are around us. God, all yeah, um, anything. So, like, and I think some of our uh, the the music video, the Black Sheep music video, for example, we were looking for a location that looked sort of like the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and we found it. It's they're just one of the canyons, thirty minutes away. Even though uh, most of the like the foliage, like what the the canyons and the mountains look like here is not like that. We were able to find something that like looks pretty close to what we were going for. Mm. And I think that's the benefit of Utah is you just have, you have really diverse landscapes here. You have salt flats kind of thing, Ibex uh, kind of thing where it's just really flat. It feels like it could be anywhere. Um, and then you have the mountains and you have lakes, rivers, like you, you just got a lot to, a lot to work with here. It's, it's affordable to shoot here, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's affordable to shoot here. Um, it's, it's funny because you go to a, you know, some of these smaller towns or, or even just here in Provo and people are like, they want you to film at their houses. Like they're like, they're, that's great. They're that's stoked great. to that. They're like, you're going to shoot a music video here. You can shoot like a film. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And I feel like for, for bigger markets, people are like, you want to film here? Like it's uh it's just more of a process, I think, to uh, in more of an expensive process to find locations. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's been, uh, it's been nice, especially as you know, I've been in the film industry for, uh, four years now. Um, so we're still like getting started, but it's, it's a wonderful place to cut your teeth. That's cool, man. Well, let's talk to you here. I got the burning question on, on my mind after watching your short film last night is how's your relationship with your grandmother? Really good. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not based on like, I got, I get, I I got that at school. They were like, are you okay? Like, is this based on anything? I was like, no. (laughs) Well, hold on. Let's set up the audience and the people because no one, you guys haven't seen the movie yet. Right. So, Give us a rough sort of synopsis of what the film is. Okay, so it's it's a film about a guy who grew up raised by his grandmother, and they were the only two people in each other's lives. And he walks in on her masturbating one day and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. starts developing these feelings that are then sort of reciprocated in a way. And the film just explores that over one evening. when He, he goes away, and then he comes back, and then the film is just an exploration of that evening when he comes back. Um, Where did this come from, dude? Uh, it's, it's weird. It's a weird inception. Um, initially, it, I went through like a weird breakup, and then we were. I, I wrote like the most basic, stupid thing while I was in. It was COVID, mm-hmm. and then I got together with a couple of friends of mine, one of whom is actually a producer on this, and we were like, "What's the most fucked up thing we can like write while we're, we're so bored?" And then, <laughs> hold on, what was the list? <laughs> what was the list? Yeah, because I gotta know what you went past. This, this was this was number two. Uh, <laughs> The first one was, I don't know, it was about this, this dude that was like uh, going to get probed by aliens. And like, that, was like, it, it, that was like my producer's idea. And then I was like, well... How about I, a guy that fucks yeah, his grandma? Yeah, I want to I wanna make a film about a guy that fucks his grandma. And it was <laughs> fucked up. It was a lot more fucked up in the beginning. Um, and the good folks at USC sort of reined me back in a little bit. Yeah. And they were like, no, we need people to see this. Yeah. Um, that was my other question. So is this an official USC? It is. It was my thesis film at SC. Jesus, man. Yeah. How, did you, how did you get that one through? I mean, so they pick like what six people per cycle to make a thesis, and when I turned it in, I was like, 
no shot. Like it's not the kind of thing that they that they, they traditionally do. Um, yeah. I just imagine one of the judges like slow, looked across the room <laughs> with like a glint in their eyes and they went, "Yeah, this one. This is the." I mean, one. I got an email. I got an email about it as well. They were like, "Yeah, we all like spent a lot of time discussing whether we're gonna let this one go through or not." And then they're like, "You're in." <laughs> Your inbox says the one from the council. You're like, "It's just, it's just a script, man. It's just a script. Just a script." <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it was definitely unsettling and it was, uh, definitely creepy and cool and it looks great, man. And, uh, um, by the way, those of you listening to the show who have been tuning in religiously, go to filmquest.com or whatever their website is. It's go to Google search film quest. I know it's not just filmquest.com, but go there. There is an app that you can download and you can watch a lot of these films, a lot of these shorts that we're talking about. So you don't feel like, um, you're out of the loop. And uh, for some of them, that's kind of the only place. Like the the Scots that we had on, um, for the there there with there's his lore. There's will be screening tonight. But American Meltdown, Adam Andrews' feature, is only an online exclusive. On the online exclusive, but more importantly, lore they're not releasing to the public after this. Correct. Yeah. And we so. watched that last night, and they were great dudes. Um, and uh, their film crushes. Like their film, yes, yeah, phenomenal. phenomenal. Um, so anyway. Uh, great, man. We'll come back to you. So, Patrick. Well, first off, I want to say my USC thesis film had no grandma sex in it. <laughs> it was a romantic comedy about a woman who meets a guy on the street and they are antagonists and then they fall in love. It was very sweet. That's the prequel. Did you make that? Yeah, and apparently <laughs> I could have got more money from mine, I guess, if I had, had a grandma to it. So. Well, so we watched your piece. I'm glad you learned from my mistake. Yeah. <laughs> well, we watched your piece and your piece does involve a mom. Yes. Right. It's a little bit I, you different. Know, I it. It's called Quiet Mom's Working. I, yes. I, yeah. I'm a bad producer. I didn't mention my own film in my intro there. It's great, man. It's like as if you have ever wanted to see uh, your mom kick someone's ass. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's a good film for that. Uh, we got a lot of questions with you on that because there's a lot of uh, action in your piece, a lot of fight, yeah. a lot of stunt choreography. Um, did you work with a stunt choreographer or did you guys try to figure it out? Like, what was your deal with that? that there was. So, so the... This is a film quest film. You hear this all the time. People come to film quest. They meet other filmmakers, they meet other people. I think there's some other films here that are. Um, so at last year's film quest, they said next year's 10th anniversary. And I thought, oh, I got to be there with a film. Because mm -hmm. um, it's fun to be here no matter what. It's fun. Certain festivals are good to go to just to go. Yeah. Um, but when you have a film, it's even more fun. So uh, I decided I wanted to do a horror comedy because I had not done a horror comedy. And mm -hmm. I thought those always play well at genre festivals. So I came up with the idea at the festival. And I knew my wife was going to star in it. She's mom. Mm -hmm. And then She's um, great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's her return to she has not done a narrative film for 30 years. Oh. Wow. She was an actress who then got married, had kids, won special needs. Yep. Got That'll back work. into acting a couple years ago, doing commercials and voiceover. And then I was like, this was me giving her her chance to flag. I knew she'd kill it. Yeah, she's great in it, dude. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, the the lead, the uh, yeah, so, the guy in it, he you met here, right? Yeah. So that's yeah, the end of the story is the winner of last year's best actor at Film Quest. I then talked him up at the, at the <laughs> final night and said uh, we we talked for a while first and we really vibed well. Um, a great guy, Shane Brady. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, um, you'd be perfect in the short film I want for next year's Film Quest. Can I send you the script when it's done? And he was like, yeah, hell yeah, and man. That's how so many things get done here, and and. Not just film cuts. It can happen at any festival. It's always great to meet people and collab. Yeah. And so where'd you guys film that? In my garage. 
in, in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is totally opposite from filming in Utah. In, in LA, if you go to your neighbor and you say, hey, can I film at your house? They go, yeah, here's my contracts and sure. I have, here's my sure. rates that I have. Sure. And I'm listed on five services. Sure, they, they see They see the uh, EQ truck pull up and they go, I need to blow these leaves because exactly. I know someone will come over with money. Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah, you have your money in your pocket. No, so it's, it takes place in a basement. The tagline is what happens in mom's basement stays yeah. in mom's basement. And nice. first off, there's very few basements in Los Angeles. Which is wild. That's why I asked. Yeah. And, and there, the, the, I did go to a couple. And the problem with most basements is the ceilings are very low. Yeah. And so both knowing that I was going to have an action sequence mm-hmm. and to just the practicality of where do you put lights in a basement if there's no ceiling space. Mm-hmm. So instead, we, we did movie magic and we built a staircase in our garage and put up fake brick walling and we turned a garage into a basement. Smart, man. We did the same thing on our short. So our short come mm-hmm. home, we actually shot that in, our, in my garage mm-hmm. and then in our hallway to the bathroom. And yeah. so when you watch that movie, you won't even know the difference. Guerrilla warfare. Because it's L.A. You can get everything for yeah. cheap except for locations. Yeah. yeah. But if it's your own garage. Or if it's your landlord's garage. I mean, and yeah, you, that's you tell them you're going to go in there and I mean, I only charged myself yeah. $5,000 a day, so I thought I did a really good job. <laughs> yeah. but, but when I wrote it, I knew there were going to be stunts. And so I'm very fortunate. I do the sound for a show called Cobra Kai, yep. which has a karate fight in every episode. Yeah. And although I don't work at all with the stunt team, we, we have a mutual respect for each other because we're kind of the beginning and end of the same process. I always joke that the stunt people make sure the actors don't get hurt and then I make it sound like they did. Do get hurt, yeah. Uh, mm. So I had, a, I had a, you know, I was able to just email Don Lee, the stunt coordinator for Cobra Kai, and I said, hey, do you know anybody in LA who's kind of up and coming, mm-hmm. who would work with a low-budget indie short film kind of? And he gave me a name, and she wasn't available, but then she passed me on to a woman, Tekla, I'm going to mangle her last name, Hutroya. Okay. And we met up, very L.A., at a Crave Cafe on Ventura Boulevard <laughs> in Studio City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And yeah. she had read the script and we talked and she got it. And then I don't want to ruin the surprise, but there's a sequence in the film that wasn't originally there. Once I met her and she came on board, I went to her reels and I found out that she was a competitive and I can't, I don't want to say what she's competitive in because I don't want to spoil the surprise. Yeah. But you'll know what I'm talking about. Yes, we do. She does martial arts of a particular type and she competes in it. And I, so I was like, oh my God, I got to write. And like the light bulb went off and I went, oh yeah, we're writing that into the so, script. So, so that's, a, that's what I was going to ask you. So she doubled for your wife for yeah. stuff? Yeah. So very cool. It was, you know, low budget, right? So yeah. I, I, I was like, can I find a stunt coordinator who can also happen to be a five foot tallish woman who can double mm. for uh the lead my wife and then i actually flew in my hair and makeup artist from seattle with someone i'd worked with before because i knew matching the hair was going to be super important super important mm-hmm. i didn't want to risk bringing in someone that i couldn't trust and so yeah, i brought right. in somebody who was going to knock it out of the park yeah and when you look at them side by side it's very Dude, it's I, really I, seamless you wouldn't have known other than the fact that she's very skilled in one sort of technique and yeah. that would have been my other question like how long has your wife been practicing and she's never done much yeah. <laughs> they i mean again low budget i could afford tecla for one day yeah yeah so she came in that morning and spent 20 minutes with the actors working through the, the thing. And then because Shane's stuff is more basic and he is not doing the, the fancy stuff, mm-hmm. the way we filmed each, we filmed in little pieces. And so we would do those, the stunt double 
first mm-hmm. with her so Krista could sit there and watch what she was doing. And then we would, Krista would come. That's fascinating. There's more questions because I have stunt stuff that I want to do in one of my pieces. And by the way, we'll get nerdy about this. We probably could do a whole episode. But when I started years ago, um, I shared studio space with sound guys. And so when I wasn't shooting or wasn't doing stuff, I was always in their space doing sound design and on location doing sound stuff. So now as a director in my scripts, I write sound cues and all my stuff. Sound is the most important part. You know I say? Sound starts at the script. Yeah, man. Think about sound at the script and it's going to pay off. Especially in horror. I can't cut a, I can't cut a horror sequence without putting sound effects in it. It's like, what does this look like? It's a guy walking down the hall. It's super quiet. This is boring. Who gives a fuck? Then you start putting sounds underneath it. Now it's a horror film. So it's super important. Sound and score really makes horror. Yeah, man. 100%. All right. Well, so we watched your film because we hung out uh, the night before, I think, at the pizza pizza party. And we were talking and you described your movie as a live action Pixar film. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's an accurate description. You think so? Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your your film. Um, where did you shoot it? We shot it mostly here, actually, in Orem. So like 10 minutes from here. And then um, the interiors are like Salt Lake and Sandy and um, a, an office space in Orem as well. Mm-hmm. And then the only thing that we shot in LA was the stuff with the little kid, like in the garden. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we shot that in Pasadena, but everything else was in, in Utah. And tell the audience a bit about your film. What's it about? Um, so it's called Box Boy. It's like an artistic take on leaving boxes that we put ourselves in or that society puts us in. And all the characters have boxes in their heads and they live in a box society. There's like <laughs> no dialogue. I was saying like it plays like an animated film. It's kind of weird and like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I can say this standout performance for me in the movie is the boss that kept hitting the projection right? script. I know. He's an actor. His name is Wes Tolman. He's great. He was actually at Film Quest like the first day and I was like, you have to stay, but he yeah. had to get back to LA. So that every time he hit, once again, sound, every time he hits, pop, 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 yeah. pop, we just laughed our asses yeah. off. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Great sequence. Too. It's funny. Um, so uh, the acting's phenomenal in it. Uh, the sco- that, that track, you kept saying, is she going to bring the track back? It, it was my favorite thing. Like every time we cut back to certain sequences, it was like, please give me the song again. Please give me the song again. Because it just felt like it punched the humor in such a great way for me. I was loving it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. My Yeah, the guy who did our score, his name's Mike McClellan. He's an amazing producer. So he'll, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, talk about as much as you want to talk about on the microphone. We were talking about it at the pizza place a bit. So you grew up here, right? Yeah. And so it's no surprise that this area is very sort of Mormon based. Yes. It's very sort of religious in that way. We've been encountering that every time I walk into a place to go, you guys have beer here? And they look at me like I'm a fucking demon for asking that question. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I couldn't help but think that that had something to do with uh, what you were doing with your short film. Is it that obvious? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was, um, you know, uh, from a, like a directing standpoint, I left it intentionally very open because I wanted people to be able to have their own interpretations about whatever boxes they've been put in. Mm-hmm. But yes, for me, I mean, I was raised Mormon. Um, I lived in Provo for quite a long time. I went to college here and it's actually really cool that we're premiering Box Boy here because when we were writing the screenplay, like the world of Box Boy is actually loosely based on Provo because it's very (laughs) like, I love Provo. It's my home, but it's also like, 
it's a bit homogenous. Like there's yeah. a lot of the same thing. There's a lot of um, limited viewpoints in in certain areas and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I Box Boy was like kind of my uh, representation of like Provo, Utah, and this you know world that I felt like I felt really boxed into. Um, I was raised super religious and I was very devout in my faith. And at some point I just kind of felt boxed in by, you know, the expectations of other people being who I thought that they wanted me to be and, um, the ways I limited myself because of that. So yeah, it is largely inspired by that. But I always try to caveat by saying that if it's not about religion for you, that's great. And in fact, a lot of members of the LDS church worked on my film. And so I always like, you know, I want them to feel safe, but it's like whatever your interpretation is for you too, you know? Well, that's what I liked. uh, This is what I liked about it, right? So we run this fine line right now currently in filmmaking and currently in our culture where you know, uh, everybody's got a message, everybody's got a soapbox they want to stand on. And I think that uh, due to the uh, the power of uh, social media and the soapboxes that everybody gets to stand on, some people get on it and they're very much like close-minded in their own way, which is like, this is my way, this is what it is, you guys are assholes, this is it, and this is what's going on. And what I really liked about your piece was that there, there really weren't any villains in your piece. You weren't villainizing the uh, a thing that you didn't agree with. And you felt like both sides of it were happy. Mm. Like you felt like all the people that were in the boxes. I really loved the way that you did that with uh, the lead character works in a corporate office. I'm not giving too much away. (laughs) Works in a corporate office and there was an employee of the month kind of thing. And he was striving to be an employee of the month. Mm. And you had all these other all these characters, essentially very lo-fi, which I liked. <laughs> All these characters walk around with cardboard boxes around their heads and a little square cut out for their faces to come out, which is really fun. And um, each of the characters were happy in their box yeah. and they're happy in their moment. And your character meets uh, someone else played by you mm-hmm. in the piece who sort of opens his world a bit and he starts to see in color a bit and starts to see things. Um, very sweet. Mm-hmm. It was a very sweet movie, very funny film. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that you picked up on the happiness of it because that's that's what I wanted to portray was like, I'm not trying to paint anybody in a bad light. Like, whatever you choose is fine, but also being open-minded enough to realize there may be more to life than your perceptions, than the way that you view things and what you're used to, you know? Yeah. So it's supposed to, yeah, I just, I want to encourage people, whether that's like, leaving a church or maybe they're coming out or maybe they're changing jobs or moving across the country or whatever it might be like you there's freedom and there's like joy in leaving the box that you were raised in so yeah and i don't think it's a specific mormon thing the only reason why we knew is because we hung out and we were talking and put two and two together and you know we're i'm really slow at math so it was like (laughs) two plus two got it got it i just want to ask because at the end of the film a song plays and if i'm not mistaken that's your song also right yeah it is my song you want to just take it because it's yeah yeah thank you um yeah so i re- i released a song last year called life in a box which is it was kind of like my public um coming out about leaving the church because i was raised lds and i've been a very devout member of the church my whole life everyone around me knew that about me and so it was quite um vulnerable to share that and so uh, the best way i knew how to do it was through art because mm-hmm. i do everything so i released a song um it's been a year actually uh, just last week and so um yeah that song is kind of my like thank you but i'm i'm leaving this you know chapter of my life and so life in a box is the credit song um because yeah there's a lot of boxiness in my artistic chapter right now but 
um, it felt like a nice way to round out the piece and kind of share from a directorial perspective, like where I'm coming from, but again, leaving it open, like for interpretation. It's very cool, man. So, yeah, it's thanks, very cool. Thanks for catching that. I don't really like, you know, advertise that, but I appreciate you listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were there. That's we why we were, research. that's why we got you on the show. Um, well, let me ask you a question, right? So uh, the, uh, big question that we get on the show all the time is like is film school worth it and is film school is the cost of film school worth it what do i get out of film school and you're going to one of the biggest right so is it fucking worth it that's a tricky one to navigate honestly um because i mean sc is great and the unfortunate part of my experience with usc was that two uh, almost two years of it out of the three-year program were during covid so oh, it was a lot of that online yeah, shit, yeah, yeah, which yeah. isn't worth it. So if, if, if God forbid. Whoa, did they charge you the same amount doing it online? They, they oh, are. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, I forgot it's a podcast. They raised their prices. They raised their prices um, for online? Uh, yeah, which is, which is interesting. Do you um, know what the justification for that was? or oh, I forget now. Um, there was a whole, super of, cool. there was a whole lot of <laughs> about it. I hope you're but, already set to graduate. <laughs> I, I gradu- I'm, I'm graduated. I graduated. Great, great. Right, right. right. We don't want to fuck up your career. Chest. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done. So I can say whatever I want. Um, no, it's a great school and the program's great. Um, but I, if, if, it, if, if you ever get like in a position where they offer you online classes for film, it's like the equivalent of um, online sports. Like yeah. play, play, yeah. f- play football online. I mean, it doesn't work. And um, they, started out, they, they started out by going, this is going to be the future of film. Uh, with sending actors costumes and recording shit on Zoom. Um, and for two years, it was that, which was annoying, unfortunately. So I ended up taking a bunch of writing classes and stuff. So f- I, here's what it is. With film school, if you know what you want to do, there, there's fantastic faculty at USC. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to seek them out and sort of build that sort of relationship with them and work towards whatever it is that you want to do. If you go into it with, with not knowing there's like 10,000 different classes and you're going to get swallowed up mm-hmm. and like end up with not a lot by the end. That's my feeling. And uh, so you went to USA too, yeah, right? Say, I'd love to jump in on this. Yes. Yeah. I was there probably before you were born. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it like for you? I'm still paying off my student loans and I'm not joking. Holy from USC. shit. Yeah. 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 yeah now, yeah, is there a job stuff. placement stuff at USA? Is that, is that yeah. a big deal? So, so my answer is always yes and no. I think for a lot of people, college is a great place to discover who you are and mm-hmm. figure out what you want to do with your life. Film school is an awful place to go into it not knowing what you want to do and just kind of see what you want to do with your life because you've got to be committed to it Yeah, and you're going to spend a lot of money. And so you have to go into it knowing what you want to get out of it. In my case, I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't know a single soul in this town. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not saying, see, yeah, but we can LA. say this time. Everybody here's from LA. with the exception of one. With the exception of one, and yeah. you traveled yeah. to LA all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I went there to connect and network, and 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 this was before social media and all that, right? So yeah. There, so yeah. meeting it, there, there wouldn't have been an online version. So I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, and so I got my first sound job based on a recommendation from the sound professor. Oh, nice. At USC, mm-hmm. I was a T in the sound department, and he got me in the biz and got me in the union. So it paid off. 
But you're still paying. You're still paying off the. Tuition. That's because I spend all my money on my short films and my feature films. And <laughs> I oh, okay. I well, wait paid, a minute. I could have <laughs> paid it off. I could have paid it off if I was smart with my money. I was like, Jesus, how much of this fucking school I'm cost? Not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll put, it, I'll put it this way: this was many, many years ago, and I still walked out of there owing eighty-five thousand dollars. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Which it's is crazy. probably eight million dollars in today's money. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. But I think mm. if you, if you, and, and the other thing is, I wanted my MFA because I want to teach and I want to. You know, be able to, to do that, and so like I had I had reasons why I wanted to go, and it paid off for me, and it worked out. It's great. My my best friend who I met at film school first semester, who we were partners on each other's films. Mm-hmm. He has a film here playing Thursday night, and I told him he made his. He's a teacher. He's a professor at LMU. He made a film, and when I watched, I was like, "Dude, you got to apply to Film Quest," and he's going to be here Thursday night playing his. That's film. cool, man. So right on. so it it paid off, but I think you got if you if you're just like discovering yourself. Discover yourself PAing for free yes. on films and 100%. don't spend the money if you don't know what you're going to do. Hundred percent. My, my I've always say that all the time on the show, and I'll re-say it again for those new that are coming and listen. I've been in this business now for like twenty three years, and the, the best thing I can tell you to do is go be a PA. If you want to be a director, mm. go be a PA. If you want to be a, a cinematographer, go be a PA and go PA for other departments that have absolutely nothing to do with mm-hmm. the department that it is that you want to do because you'll find you might just find that being a director is a nightmare for you and that's something that you don't want to do and you may stumble across the sound department and find out that's the most imaginative thing that you can possibly do pa jump around do stuff and if you are an uh um a filmmaker if you are a cinematographer or a director go pa in the editing department and go understand where the movie goes after you shoot it on set i think that's very fucking important and good luck if you're an art PA. <laughs> Everyone goes, oh, I want to paint walls and pick pottery and pictures to put on it's the walls. Like and then you're trying- they send you to pick out 50 fucking palm plants. <laughs> and you come back and you go, yeah, that's stupid. That's too tall. Doesn't match the colors we painted the walls. Go back. What the fuck? <laughs> Your best bet? Just be on set. Yeah. Put up pop-ups. Put up chairs, lunch tables. Get around and just look at shit. Listen, well, learn. You've been PAing for a while now, A ton. Right? Yeah, yeah. A ton in LA. Yeah. I initially started actually in Boston PAing on your sets. And then when mm-hmm. I got to LA, uh, my roommate at the time was PAing. And I thought, oh, oh, shit, this is like an actual job. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, they make money sounds pretty fucking good, which is another thing that, especially coming from the East Coast, sounds wild to us, right? Like you get to LA and you go, there's a job where I don't really have to do a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna pay me like three hundred bucks, three fifty, maybe four hundred a day. Fuck yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> that sounds great. And then you get the job, and then you you fuck around. The first one is a PA job, where they're like, okay, so we're on the rooftop of this hotel, but we can't use the elevator because they're they're open today. So we got to take fifty sandbags out of the jockey box and get them on the roof. Do we have any strong guys? <laughs> and then you kill yourself for wearing a sleeveless shirt that day. <laughs> Very true. And the the big joke, so Lance and I have been working together for a while. He's the big joke between us was that he's been in a bunch of my films. He's an accomplished actor, great actor. And it, he crushes it in Come Home. Thank you. Thank He's you. not. He was nominated for Nightmares for Best Performance. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, Which you did not win. We oh, now know. Oh, we didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck, Nightmares. The, guy, the guys. From, <laughs> <laughs> the guys from Laura at the um, at the the luncheon. Um, Toby came over and he was like, "Congratulations, by the way, and on the award." I was like, the "Fuck, are you talking about? I'm not fucking nominated for anything here." He was like, "No, Nightmare." I was like, oh, "I fucking won." He was like, "No, you didn't." 
<laughs> oh, you piece of shit. <laughs> Who won? Did, he, did their guy win? No, their guy didn't win either, which was also a bummer because I was like, if I'm not going to get it, like I really liked what he did. I would love to see him get well, it. Well, I'd like to officially say that I really like Film Quest. I think it's one of the best festivals out there right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a short film in the genre space, I think that Film Quest is where you yeah, should be looking. Yeah. We should be looking. But anyway, I'll, I'll make this, this story pretty quick. So Lance uh, has been in a bunch of my pieces, but we've never shown his face it's always been hands it's always been shoulders we cast him as like a as a, a moped uh uh zombie zombie leader where he had to wear a helmet the whole time so you couldn't see his face it was great i was um, like i'm bane and batman and i remember specifically you were paing on one of my shorts and your jobs specifically oh was yeah just to hold a piece of cardboard up against a, a door so we keep all the haze in the room yeah so they give me like essentially the side of like a fucking refrigerator box and it's this beautiful, huge yeah. old Victorian house. So the doors are massive. And Mike loves to do a lot of haze in his, sh- in his shorts. It looks fucking incredible. But someone has to make it stay there. With this big drafty house, it's tough. Um, and so his fiance, Gina, is a- a- also a really fantastic photographer. And she got a shot of me in the doorway because I was so hungry to learn more about filmmaking <laughs> that if I could just manage to open it a crack and peeking and look what's going on. I can sort of deduce things for myself to log away. And she caught me one of the moments where I was, somebody wasn't going, the haze is going out. No, yeah, it's my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> and it's just me peeking through the door, my glasses and little fucking hipster mustache like, oh, that's a dolly. Cool, Some, cool. Someday, someday he'll someday, let me be someday. in front of that camera. And then one night, I, I we, we shot overnights in a, one. I was really good about this, but one night I actually fell asleep and I just hear Mike go, Lance, Lance. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up. And I run over and he's like, all right, so Gene's leaving. I need you to just stand in for me. Uh, Gene, give Lance your jacket. Okay, cool, cool. Lance, I just need your shoulder for this shot. Like, okay, cool. How does Gene's shoulder look when he stands? <laughs> Stop moving, Lance. <laughs> Is this too much? Is this too much? In- insider tip. When you do things, when you have jobs like that, you yeah. come up with a name for that. So we always call, when we cut out pieces of cardboard, we call them Kermits. So I have a friend oh. who actually put down Kermit operator. On his- <laughs> People, There's so many names for stuff. Nothing's what you normally call it. You know, it's not a clothespin. It's a C forty seven. It's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. So put down Kermit Operator on your. I love that oh, yeah. man. That's the new thing. That's the name of the show. Kermit I'm Operator. I'm gonna update my resume after this episode. So you started as a an actor. When did you start acting? Yeah, uh, I started acting when I was five. I. <laughs> what was that? What were you acting in? Uh, I was doing theater um, as a five year old, and then at a seven I did my first movie um I'm originally from Texas so I did live in Utah for a long time but I was born and raised in Texas so I started acting in Austin and I was in like a thriller film in Austin with like uh Sean Patrick Flannery I was like really excited about that as a (laughs) seven-year-old so what was the deal so I used to have an office that was above a um casting agency and I used to see it was weird you know you'd come into work one day and there'd be a bunch of construction workers that never looked like they lived today a shovel in their life and you're like oh apparently they're casting construction workers or ladies in in heels and pumps and push-up tops and it's like oh it's the prostitute day okay great but sometimes we'd walk through and it'd be all the child actors and you and being a a director that's been in casting sessions for commercials with child actors you look at them and oftentimes you're like does the kid really want this or does the parents really want this so like were you someone that was like i want to act when you were like five years old (laughs) um i think it was a combo 
I like my mom was in theater. Both my parents were in theater, and so my mom got me into theater because she loved it initially. Yeah. And then I think I did find my love for it. Like I was doing musicals, and we were homeschooled, so it made it possible for me to like be in a like um, a children's theater, but mm-hmm. all the rest of the cast were adults, and we were the only kids because we were homeschooled. So things like that. I think those experiences I fell in love with the process. <laughs> oh God. I need to have like a, I need to have a button for when that happens on the show. Unintentional love it's podcast. also in a jack seat. <laughs> I observe that. I observe that. <laughs> Keep going. But um, Yeah. And then, so then we were doing all these like workshops and stuff. And this manager from LA came to Texas where we're from. And she, we had like a full day workshop and she went up to my mom and was like, your son is really talented. I'd like to rep him if you come out to LA. And so my mom was like, okay, like, let's do it. And so we all moved out to LA as children. I'm like 10 at this point and had a manager and whatever. So I think, yes, initially it started as my parents. And then I was the one who like, I want to do this. And my brothers are both um, like videographers and stuff Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. but I'm the only one who's like still acting. It must be strange, right? Because I've been on productions. Like I, I did a shoot with a child actor and literally like the parents just dropped them off. And they were just like, here you go. And yeah. they left. And they, they, it's this kid that's surrounded by like adults and like a lot of like crusty old, you know, grippy adults that are just there and you're getting feedback and admiration and, uh, you know, uh, just connection with people that are, you know, twice, three times your age. Yeah. Is that a weird, was that a weird thing for you when you were a kid? It is weird, but I, I think it actually, like, because I was homeschooled, there's a lot of um, stereotypes around kids that are homeschooled and like they're weird and they don't know how to socialize and stuff. But I think because I was thrust into film at such a young age, like I learned how to communicate with adults as a child. So I actually think it was really good for me. And I'm very grateful, very lucky. I never had any bad experiences where I was uncomfortable or, you know, I was always like very safe on set, which I know doesn't always happen. And I know a lot of child actors that have had horrible experiences yeah. taken advantage of, you know, by people. So I'm grateful that never happened to me. But um, I had a great experience. I grew up in set trailers, you know, with my on-set teacher. <laughs> and, you know, I was like memorizing lines when I was learning how to read, you know. So it was, it was a very unique way of like... Yeah, I just imagine that you're in the cowboy boots in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kicking your things up, you know? Yep. That's not how you pronounce that. Yeah. Accurate. That's cool. That's crazy. Um, Well, let's talk a bit about sound, my friend, because you and I are in love with that. I'll get close to the mic. That's important. That's good, really. That's good, really. Um, So, uh, why sound? How'd you get into it? So, that that was USC. So um, I had I was a, a radio DJ in high school because my friend got a job in there and he got me in and it was the freaking coolest job bet, dude. To, to be an on-air radio DJ. So I grew up on a very small tropical island, believe it or not. So very different from, from us. I, uh, it's Guam, where America's Day begins. It's the <laughs> westernmost territory of the United States. Uh-huh. And my parents moved there. Uh, my dad was a school teacher and couldn't find a job in Ohio. Uh-huh. And so he found out that they were looking for teachers on this tropical island. So wow. he and his mom flew out there and I was born there and I was raised there and went to school there. Made my first films in Guam as a you know kid running around with a little VHS. Um, <laughs> they weren't even camcorders yet. They were like the camera that connected to a, to a deck. Yeah, yeah, the big boys. I'm dating myself really badly. Dude, dude I mean... I'm I'm right behind you, so oh, yeah. don't worry about it. So, um, but I also was uh, big into music, and uh, mm-hmm. in college I played in drums in a heavy metal band, 
um, since my Metallica, mm-hmm. we were talking to Metallica before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of, and, and then I was working at the radio station. So I had a lot of foundation and, and sound. sound yeah. But of course I went to USC like everybody else to be a writer director and be the next, you know, Spielberg, Zemeckis, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who had just come out at that time from USC. I don't remember, but you know that, but to USC's credit, one thing that USC is good at a lot of, that I hope a lot of film schools do is, is what you were talking about. They, USC says, look, you can't make your own film until you crew on other films and learn about the yeah. other yeah. positions because they were, they kind of knew that like, you know, 99.9% of you are not going to be, yeah, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Be a big time director and you're going to need other skills if you want to stay in this town and work. And so you had a crew on another film. And so I chose, I was, I decided I was going to crew on the best film, not necessarily the film that like had the opening. I wanted to picture edit, uh, on as a crew member. I mm-hmm. thought that'd be a great place to kind of see where all the, you know, you're getting to see all the Smart. dailies, you're getting to see the director, like talk to the actors while the camera's still mm-hmm. rolling and all that. Mm-hmm. But the best film, and, and it was, it was nominated for a student Academy award. So I, I, I think I chose wisely mm-hmm. needed sound. And I was like, well, I know sound, I'm good at sound. And uh, the uh, professor who taught sound at that time, Roger Party, um, he did little films like Waterworld and Last Action Hero. So he's yeah, he kind of knows what he's talking about. Very small sound. films, yeah. At the end of that semester, he said, you're really good at sound. Um, and so I got a TA ship in the sound department. And then before I graduated, I was getting paid. People were offering to pay me money. And I was looking at everybody else who was still working for free and... The sound people were at that point. I mean, you couldn't find sound people willing to work for free, so we were all getting paid. And I was like, "This is pretty darn good." Yeah, man. Yeah, so man. I just, I, you know, and and eventually it became a way to support my my film habit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my directing habit. I, I mean, it's it's one of those positions that isn't sexified, right? So you're oh, you're not seeing the, like the, the behind the, the scenes. The first time we went to the motion picture sound editor. So there's the MPSC, motion picture sound editors. It's the professional organization for union sound people in Los Angeles. Yeah. And after I joined, we went to their first thing, and I'm there with my wife, who's the star of Quiet Mom's Working. She kicks ass. Yes, we know. And we walked in, and we we like we're looking down at a thousand sound nerds. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks it down at all of them and she looks at me and she goes, I kind of got the pick of the barrel here. <laughs> <laughs> and on that day, you were top dog. I was top. I was like, as long as, as, long as she thinks I'm top. It doesn't matter if I really yeah. am, but gotta, as long as she's feeling good about listen, her pick, I'm feeling uh, you okay. You got to see That's how I see need. this in my head. It's like you walking out in the balcony and they're all like, Wah! You're Julius Caesar. I wasn't supervising yet. I hadn't done any big shows. Yeah. I was just a guy no, it's because i saw your wife and they but, went, ah! but there were there were i mean there there were a lot of like like blue check suits that were ill-fitting on you know what i mean yes, Just, sure, you know, sure, sure. like you said a lot of the sound people live in the shadows and aren't allowed to see well and I, I also think it just doesn't get a lot of credit right so in our business everybody's like well if you're a director you're a fucking genius like you come out of your mom and you know a lens type you know none of that exists that way right and then there's the cinematographer which is like the auteur like the magician and prior to digital they was like they do magic and how do they process with chemicals and then you know you've got your actors um, but there are all these different department p- pieces that people just don't know anything about. They're like, what the fuck does yeah. a best boy do? Is it, is it the coolest guy instead? Is that what a best boy is? And with sound that people don't realize until you make a movie, 
People don't realize how important that position is. And if you find good sound people and good sound people that want to work with you all the time and good sound people, unfortunately, good sound people that want to put in the time and energy for free ahead of time to be able to work with you on stuff, it will make your career. It will make your thing. We're nominated for multiple things in this film because ultimately because of your performance, but also because of the music hits and the sound design mm. and all that stuff that makes it. So um, I can't stress this enough. If you're someone that wants to get into the movie business and you want to, uh, you know, find something that is rewarding and very cool and the lots of adventure in it, it's sound work, I think. And what specifically yeah. are you doing these days? Are you doing mixing? Are you doing recording or sound effects That's editing? Right. Real quick, I'll just point that you're so right. Here's how I tell people how important sound is and why it's falling behind, I think, a lot for indie filmmakers is look at an iPhone. Every year, what do they upgrade on the iPhone? Mm-hmm. The camera. Mm-hmm. How many times do you hear about a sound upgrade on the microphones on Ooh. an iPhone? Good video is now in the hands of everybody. I can pull out my phone right now and have stuff that if the lighting and, and everything else, right, I can get great looking shots, yeah. but I can't get good sounding shots with my iPhone. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that's the, an important thing. I always tell people if you, have a fi- if you have 500 bucks to buy your first gear, if you already own an iPhone, buy some, some good basic lights mm-hmm. and buy some sound gear. Mm-hmm. Don't buy a camera, you already got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need but, to call Apple. <laughs> and get a contract going and make a shit ton of money. Don't so. do it. Don't do it, though. They'll make an app and try to dissolve yeah, I was your gonna say the, Yeah, industry. now they're going to have the, the... They've already the, done that in the photographer's industry. iSound. Yeah. It'll be coming out next Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I'm editorial, so... Okay. Um, so mixing is mixing. I, I, I can mix, but I'm not, no, no, I'm not anywhere near what the professional mixers are doing day to out. I yeah. don't think I could sit at that desk. Like, the focus they need... Yeah. They don't get to leave that room. Yeah. You know, editorial, I can do some of it at home. Yeah. I can do it. I have my gear with me. I'm going to be doing some work here on the road, right? I can I can have more of a life. Mixers, when they're mixing a show or a movie, like they're they're locked in. And the other thing is, if it comes six o'clock and the producers go, nope, we're still going, they're calling their families and saying, I can't make dinner. I can't make plans. Yeah, I can't locked do in. Yeah. yeah. Like they now, they get compensated really well and they're, if they're rock stars in the sound world, it's the mixers. Mm-hmm. Most people who might know sound, People probably know mixers more than anything. So, but I, so my job is a supervising sound editor. So I started as a dialogue editor, which was cutting the tracks recorded on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a show called Nip Tuck, mm-hmm. a very low budget show, but Ryan Murphy's first big yeah. hit um, before he became the ruler of all things television. <laughs> and it was so low budget, they didn't have enough shifts for the supervisor to like make it worthwhile. So they decided they would have the supervisor also cut dialogue on it. So they were basically were looking for a dialogue editor who was ready to step up and supervise. And I raised my hand because I was ready to get out of that little room and interface with people. You know, a (laughs) lot of editing, more even more so. So picture editing, you at least have the director over your shoulder a lot and other people. But the sound editors, really, they get their marching orders and then they go off into a room and put their headphones on and you don't see them for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I wanted to get out. So I started supervising. So and. The, everybody thinks that's every, the first thing everybody's like well I got this track and I'm like no the supervising sound editor handles everything except the music there's yeah. a sip. so there's you have the supervising sound editor so I cover the dialogue that was recorded on set sound effects sound design fully if you know it, if you're familiar mm-hmm. I mean everybody here knows but yeah, if yeah. everybody listening fully the, the creating of the sounds that people make when they interact with their environment footsteps yeah stuff that wasn't recorded on set yeah, yeah. yeah. 
uh, I'm in charge of all of that. And I'm in charge of basically meeting with the client. Client doesn't have the time, you know, a director of a movie, executive producer of a TV show, doesn't have the time to sit with every different person. In, a, in, in the low budget world, often you're doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you do have people, you sit and talk to all of them because it's your project and it's your passion project. But in, in, at this level, they don't have time to talk to all those people. Nor do they often know how to talk in the language of the different people. That they, so they just meet with me. So I meet with the executive producer or if it's a movie, the director. And then you spread, the, notes. You spread the orders. And then I, yeah. And yeah. then when it all comes in, I make sure it's right. And then when the mixers are mixing, yeah. I sit behind them. And again, the client doesn't have time to come into the mix from the beginning. Yeah. So I'm kind of the proxy. And I just sit there and make sure that what they're doing is going in the direction that it's supposed to go that they wanted. And if they're going to different, like, oh no, you know what? Here they wanted the music to be source. It's playing from the radio and the other, like, you know, that kind of, yeah, yeah. Make sure it's shaped. And then maybe luckily if, I mean, if we're lucky, I have a chance to do a playback myself first. And then, then the big wigs come in and then they take over, but hopefully I've delivered something. Are you, yeah, ha- are you happy just, doing it? Do you still like it? Yeah. 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 It's uh, if you work with great clients. So the, uh, mm. the Cobra guy guys are phenomenal. So I do everything they do. They love me. We don't spot a lot now because I've worked with them for six years. I just kind of know what they want. And so that's my value to them. That's and awesome. why they ask for me mm-hmm. is because I save them a couple hours an episode because they just know I'm going to do what they want. And I can just email them or text them and say, hey, if I have a question. Yeah, man, that's great, man. That's so a great position to be good, in. When you have good clients, yeah. you know. That's the dream for all of us as filmmakers is to find that those people around us like you. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the dream, dude. Find a good and, and it's, you know, put my kids through school and give me health insurance and a pension and right all that kind of stuff. Right? What, is right. all, what, what is all that? That's, that's it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's is, a, now, is, the downside is you have to live in like L.A. or New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> all right. Those are the places in my job. But that's what I do. All right. All right. Uh, give me a sec here. We're going to do some mid-roll ad reads and then we'll come right back. Everybody hang out. Microphones will be on. I may actually call on you to say something. If you hear me say something that's interesting, you can ask me a question. But let's. Let's get some ad read music going here. Little code electro. Okay, so uh, let me get my brain in the right place. This show wouldn't exist without the support of our sponsors and. Uh, all of you cheap listeners out there that refuse to pay for anything, that expect to get everything for free, this show wouldn't exist for you without our sponsors. So I know, I know the deal. You're all filmmakers, you're broke, just like me. You guys like to uh, continue to shovel money uh, to get your toilet paper delivered on your front porch, but you won't support other shows like this one. I get it. So all you need to do is click on the sponsor links in the description of our episodes. Each one of those links, they're trackable, traceable links, so that the sponsors don't think I'm lying to them when I say that all sorts of people listening to the show. It's the simplest thing in the world to do. I know you're on the couch in your underpants and you have the phone in your hand. Scroll down further on Instagram and check out our sponsors and leave them notes and say, hey man, thanks for supporting Mike and supporting the show, all right? First up are our friends over at Fujifilm. Not only does Fujifilm make amazing cameras like the GFX 102 that just came out in the market, which is a brand new large format, large format camera that will compete 
with some of the big boys. It's pretty rad. It's affordable. It's a camera that I want to have sitting next to my edit desk. So when I'm shooting things, if I need to do inserts, if I got to do some macro inserts, what I'm known for, I have that nice large format camera that may also match with that Airy Mini LF that I shot, which is great. It's affordable. It's there. You have actor friends that come by. Hey, let's shoot some exercises. You've got a camera that's there that you can shoot stuff that maybe accidentally will end up in a film festival. So uh, make sure you get a good camera. Fujifilm is the place to go. Not only do they make great gear, but they support filmmakers. They finance short films. Fujifilm has financed short films for a bunch of filmmakers. We've been doing the Fujifilm Creator Series on this show, so you've heard me talk to these folks. Fujifilm has dished out like ten, twenty, forty thousand dollars for different films out there. So if you're a filmmaker uh, and you're looking for a place to, you know, help you make your short film, you should definitely look into Fujifilm. I know they appreciate me saying that in their ad reads. Their email box is going to inflate today, but it's a great place for it, and that's why I teamed up with them because we firmly believe in supporting each other. And this is a message, music gets cut out for this. This is a message to all you other manufacturers out there. Take a note from Fujifilm. It isn't as cool for us as filmmakers for you to send us free gear and then we film an unboxing experience and that's all we get from you. I think it's a better thing if you go out there and you finance short films because what you're doing is you're forming a relationship and a family relationship with filmmakers that will be loyal to you forever. And you're getting behind the scenes. All the filmmakers in here are shaking their heads like, yes, 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 yes. And you'll end up getting as a byproduct all that social media content that you need in order for people to be excited and going to your Instagram page. So this is a message to all of you other gear manufacturers out there, we don't give a fuck about unboxing experiences. So give us some money to make some short films and we'll be your best friend. Okay, music's back on. All right, so also supporting the show are our friends over at Boca Rentals. If you are in Los Angeles, if you're in Las Vegas, uh, Boca Rentals is the place to go if you're looking for gear at an affordable price. But more importantly, what I like about Boca is that they give a shit about young filmmakers and young cinematographers. They know we are the future of the business. What is great about going with a small rental company is that if Martin Scorsese shows up someday, all your, your gear that you've rented suddenly is no longer available. You want to go with a place that knows the power and the support that they get from us and that we need from them. Now, many of you don't live in California, so go make friends with your local rental house. I don't know how many filmmakers I know that are afraid of making a relationship with a local. Does everybody here rent gear? Has everybody rented gear? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah okay. And it saves your ass, man. I coordinated on a, a job for Amazon one year where um, our producers couldn't get a hold of a, a certain lens. And because I already had the relationship with that rental house, I was like, well, let me just try these guys. And not only they had it, they were able to give us a better price. And when the day that they were closed was the day that we were traveling. It was the only day we had that we could pick it up. They were like, yeah, fuck it. You know, just send somebody over and we'll give it to you. That's a big thing too. And also there's a lot of like online rental things that you can do. If you mm -hmm. go local, gear always fails, especially sound gear. doesn't matter how good sound gear is always goes down there's always some some issue that happens it's great to be able to call your local rental house and have them ship you out a replacement immediately so when mm -hmm. you're on set you can go all right let's shift to another shot and an hour from now a guy will show up and oftentimes if you have a great rental house there'll be a tech there that'll look at it and try to make it work on set for you mm. if you are in los angeles or 
Las Vegas, Boca Rentals. I love those guys. They're great. If you go to Boca, send me a picture. What are you renting? I'd like to know. Uh, also supporting the show are friends over at Black Magic, Black Magic Design. I shot most of my B-roll material with a Black Magic 6K camera. Their pocket 6K or whatever they yeah. call it. Um, love that rig. We did all the macro stuff for Come Home on that. Mm -hmm. We did our B our B cam stuff with that, which is awesome. And I color graded my entire piece in DaVinci's Resolve. Do you guys all know Resolve? Yeah. Yep. I switched completely to Resolve for all my filmmaking. So you're doing all the cutting in it now? And we shot the film that's here was shot with a pair of 6K magic, uh, 6K pockets. So you're pockets. full in, yeah, yeah, you're full in it. Listening to us right now? Grab Mike, talk into it. Uh, yeah, we're full resolve as well. We shot the, the handbook on the 6K and we do all the color, all the edits uh, in resolve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we also us, and we use the pocket camera or the pocket cinema for um, all the like outside shots because my DP was riding on a segue <laughs> so we use that for that there you go but you're welcome black magic there you go, there you go. Uh, we actually had access to cameras that rhyme with dead that uh, have fancy names like, <laughs> like dinosaur names and stuff yeah. <laughs> like uh, they look like michael bay shoes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but for our shoot what we needed the 6k pocket 6k pro was the the best camera for what we needed for the shoot yeah it's a great rig man and the, the, there there's a newer one out in the market right now but that one was a really great upgrade and and uh we love it we use it all the time and especially if you're trying to match other cameras it's a great camera for that as well mm. um and uh so you guys are, are you guys cutting in resolve now uh yeah i i yeah 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 i'm trying to make that i'm trying to make that transition i'm trying to make the transition there's a lot of really wacky new AI, um, ai tools that are coming out with it like syncing tools and everything else that are pretty interesting right now have you used any of that shit? i, I haven't used much of the ai stuff in resolve um i started off like in school my emphasis was cinematography so i started off as a dp and used resolve as like kind of my bread and butter for coloring um, mm -hmm. just to get better as uh, in composition and, and better with color and uh, have since switched over like to direct. And since I was familiar with Resolve's color tools, mm -hmm. uh, it's so nice to um, just be able to like round trip everything in Resolve, especially if you have, you know, quick deadlines you need to meet. You're not dealing with um, cross-platform issues. Like yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's nice. It's really nice to be able to just like get it all done in one place. I'm slowly making my way over. It's just. It's a process. It's a process. A lot of the way that they name things, like they're cut and paste, and like it's it's kind of the, the antithesis of every other program that exists. I'm not talking trash, but why the fuck isn't not named the same way as it is? Yeah, yeah. It's very annoying. There's a thing called Relight. I don't know if you've heard about Relight. Yes, it's I have. Yes. AI, but yes. This, with depth maps. And there's a shot in our film, as often happens on low budget films, we added a, a thing that we didn't know was going to happen when we filmed, and so it wasn't lit. So there's a wink. Someone winks in the film, if you know, if you remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. There was no light on her face because that wasn't planned. That was the last second. Like, that would be really cool. So we used this relight function and it literally like, like created light. I don't know how it worked. It just dug. I mean, you have to have something on the image, but it, sure, yeah, yeah. it brought it up so that you could see the wink. I've, I've played with it slightly. It's almost like a 3D mapping and then you can relight yeah. in that 3D mapping, which is kind of cool. It's, it's pretty rad stuff. Um, okay, so Black Magic, check them out. Links in the bio. Great ad read. Thank you, everybody. Um, and uh, let's see. Am I missing anybody? I think we're good. Finally, 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 
for those of you who are new listeners to the show, maybe you just come on because you're a big Film Quest fan. Maybe you're a filmmaker for Film Quest and you're just jealous that you're not on the show right now. Um, if you want to listen to other episodes and you're, you know, you're not a true comic book nerd, you don't go back and listen to episode one and go straight through, which yes, I am judging you for that. You should. But if you're someone that just wants to listen to all the director episodes or all the cinematographer episodes or the episodes I did with the California fire chiefs or all this other stuff, I've curated them all at inlovewiththeprocess.com. So you can go there and yes, I've made it easy for you. You can go there and check, oh, I just want to listen to directors for two weeks. Great. They're all here. So inlovewiththeprocess.com is the place to go. All right, let's get back to the show and uh, let's get out with some music first. Hold on. Okay, we're back. Hi, everybody. Thank you for that ad read jump in. You're helping us out on the show. All right, well, let me open. We know who we are now, right? We kind of have an idea of who we are and what's going on. Does anybody have any questions? I know not everybody has seen each other's films, but generalizing, does anybody have any questions for each other? What do we got? Well, I have a question for you, Trevor, because I haven't seen your film, but I know it's also about, like, it's about Mormon missionaries, isn't it? So, yes, the handbook is about two Mormon missionaries. Uh, I actually, so Brandon Carraway directed the handbook, mm -hmm. wrote it uh, with Hannah Grace Carraway, his wife. And uh, the film is about two Mormon missionaries who, uh, not to spoil it, but are spoilers, okay? We're, we're cool with whatever. You're the, the you're the filmmaker, bro. <laughs> All right. That's... Don't spoil it for We'll me. see what Brandon thinks about this later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I might be in trouble, but here we go. So, yeah, the handbook's about two Mormon missionaries that track into uh, a family of cannibals. Oh, oh, wow. Wow. Was not expecting that. That's, That's scary. a good, yeah. And tra uh, tracting is like knocking on doors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tracking. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's the, it's the whoa, whoa, what's it called? What's it called? It's called tracting. Tracting? Tracting. But it's actually, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about all the all the missionary, all the Mormon lingo on this. We were but. both Mormon missionaries. So. Uh, dude, yeah. I, I am excited. We're going to be handing out like <laughs> special little key sheets to people that listen to the show. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, we need cheat sheets for sure. Um, but okay. Yeah. So the handbook is about, like I mentioned, two Mormon missionaries. Uh, there's something called tracting in missions where you're going door to door. Like uh, a lot of religions do this where you're mm -hmm. passing out pamphlets or material, trying to set like lessons with people to, uh, you know, educate them, convert them, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so these missions, they actually don't track, but they get a, a referral um, <laughs> to, uh, to this uh, enormous house. Um, and this eccentric lady kind of answers the door and, uh, and the rest kind of follows from there, but they get a referral to go teach her, and uh, it's a it's a trap. So. <laughs> that sounds really interesting and also terrifying. <laughs> Is it made specifically to terrify the Mormon audience? Because it sounds like it. You know, it's uh, one thing I really love about about working with with Brandon, who's who is Mormon. Um, is the the film itself, even though it deals with these Mormon missionaries. It's not necessarily pointed good, Mormon good, Mormon bad, anything like that. It's, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily making a commentary about anything religious. Uh, it's really just um, seeing these two, these two, I, mean, I want to say kids, but they're like young adults put into this very peculiar, interesting uh, situation that I think as you know, someone that's served in LDS mission, like Mormon mission, 
um, you get put into those like weird situations, like not necessarily like meeting cannibals, but you, it's just the whole thing is like really bizarre. And so it's, it's, it's I, I love the film because it's not necessarily making um, some sort of pointed comment, but sure. it's uh, it's just fascinating to watch what these two personalities do in this situation. Okay, so it's called what, Tracting again? It's Oh yeah, Knocking Door to Door is called Tracting. So yeah. I assume that your film does for Tracting that what, Jaws does for going to the beach. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> That's his point, right? It's true. Missionaries might be a little more, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a little more gunshot. Saving the rest of the country from getting random knocks on their doors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to echo something Mike said earlier in regards to Box Boy. That I find it really fascinating the way that you each have gone on this journey for yourselves and then going back in and finding ways to express that in your art without villainizing this experience that you've had because I think most of the times when we are trying to express ourselves, it's really easy to get locked into just one perspective. And typically that perspective ends up being, here's where I was hurt, here's where I was wounded. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's beautiful to see people be able to express their own experience through their art in what feels like in a very healthy way. So 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 much love. Thank, thank you. Yeah, w- one thing that I really loved and appreciated about working with Brandon on this film, because I'm, I'm ex-Mormon, Brandon is, is still Mormon, is that I think that this film just, um, not that it's like catering towards a specific audience, but it just feels like something that anyone can uh, sink their teeth in. It's interesting, it's engaging, it's funny, it's weird. Uh, and yeah, I just, I really like praise and support his vision. And so I, I DP'd the film and it's just so nice to work with a director that wants to take risks and chances and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and make it yucky, you know, and that's... Uh, I like that, man. Make great. it yucky. Make that it should yucky. that should be on the poster. That's... <laughs> 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 or make it yummy. Make it yummy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Depends on who you it. ask, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, so let's talk a bit about uh, you know trying to have sex with our grandma. Let's do it. Yeah. So how how weird was uh, was the set for that? Was that a strange environment for you? And I mean, and, and then we've also had. Uh, what do they call them? And they're not sex consultants. What intimacy are they? coordinator? Yeah, intimacy intimacy coordinator. You had a, yeah, you had one? Yeah. Um, so I equate that process to like a fight sequence. Like yeah. I, I'd never shot a sex scene before. Um, mm. And we wanted it to not be like this weird graphic thing where then people immediately just go, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. Um, so I was nervous about it going into it. But when you sort of get into the nitty gritty of actually shooting the thing, yeah. I mean, one out of the two people is, I mean, if you've seen the film, so the way we shot it, one of the two people isn't there like half the time. So sure. the other actor is able to react to basically just nothing. And like, I don't know how much, that, how helpful that was to them, but the coordinator sort of was like, this will like make them more comfortable because there's already a camera person. Um, so how was working with a coordinator? It, uh, it was good. I, I would I would highly recommend. I mean, I feel like if you're doing things that are like graphic or sexual in nature, I think having an intimacy coordinator is a, great step in 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 terms of where the where the industry is going i think it should be more common it just makes things easier they're not like like the person i, I worked with alison bibikoff she was fantastic she she mm-hmm. approached it she came to me and she was like i'm not here to tell you that you can't do this mm-hmm. i'm here to make it look good yeah that was her process mm-hmm. and, I, and and i was immediately like you're the person um because uh 
my we had to we had to have one usc made a made, made sure that based on my score they were like you have to have an intimacy coordinator of course yeah of course um, <laughs> and so i was like well fuck this is, it's gonna be someone that's gonna sort of be like the school teacher that's the thing right because we i had once that job title really was coming out my initial gut reaction as a director was like oh god damn it like there's somebody else that's gonna put themselves in between me and an actor and it's gonna be harder for me to connect with this right that was literally my fear yeah and so when i had the intimacy coordinator if you guys want i forget the episode number but go back and look go to in love with the process.com it's up there um but uh when i talked with her i kind of went into it with a bad attitude and i was just like so what the fuck do you do on set and she really changed my entire perspective on it and it's you're right it does feel like it's a having a stunt coordinator having someone that's there to know what's going on but what she brought up which was fascinating and we've talked about this Mm -hmm. was that when you're a director and you're dealing with actors actors don't want to piss you off so they're oftentimes not honest with you so you walk into a space and go here's what i'm thinking and you're gonna do this and it's gonna be great and they go yeah 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 yeah, yeah." and then they walk away and you walk away and they're like you know and it's like i actually don't want to show my 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 ass and i i don't want to go through this process and so uh she was saying that i'm often there to get the truth Mm. out of actors Mm. so like you walk in you talk about what it is that you're thinking about and then i turn to them and go what would you like to do and then come back to it i go yeah as long as you're not changing their mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah we actually i just worked on a short where i got to watch the working as crew and i got to watch the intimacy coordinator pull the actors aside for a scene they had um and it was really fascinating seeing her process of taking the the couple away one on like isolated and talking to them about what was comfortable getting that solid and then coming back and then i was like oh they're gonna like power with the director and the actors just went back to where they were kicking it and then she talked to the director and said here's what they're comfortable with here's the do's here's the don'ts here's what i expressed to them cool and it was i thought it was so brilliant because then it's like as an actor you don't necessarily have to go to the director and be like so how do I talk to you about these things? And uh, is that weird? And and then it kind of it also kind of like pulls you out of the headspace a bit. I thought, man, that's really brilliant to see the way that you can have someone sort of be a liaison mm-hmm. for that conversation if you're comfortable enough, right? Like yeah. it, it, it's you and I, right? We're comfortable enough; we can just talk about it. But you get your ass up. Yeah. If, <laughs> if there's if there's a director you haven't worked with before, right? Like, what yeah. the fuck are you supposed to do? Like, yeah. I've done jobs in the past where they go, "Okay, Lance, so there's a, there's a kissing scene in this moment, so uh, uh, we're gonna bring the actress. In. Oh, this is Lance. So this is also okay, cool, cool. So you guys know what the scene is. Just talk about it. Figure out what's best for you, and then." You're there like, what the fuck? Like, uh, so, yeah. okay, I guess um, you take control of this thing. And like in those moments, like as a guy, just go, okay, well, you're the lady, so you lead the scene, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I'll go with it. You know, here's my sort of boundaries. I guess we'll figure this the fuck out. And then you stumble through it and it's awkward. And the problem is that even if everyone feels comfortable-ish going through that experience because you're just stumbling, does this work on camera? Is this effective? Well, and then in the current climate, right? As a guy, as an actor, I, mm. I bet you feel this way. I mean, there's, you know, the cancel cloud is like one step away on everything. So yeah, you don't like, want anything to be misinterpreted at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I mean, Kelsey, have you worked with an intimacy coordinator? No? I've never worked with an intimacy coordinator, but I have had like, you know, makeout scenes or whatever. And, and like where things got physical that I really think that would have been beneficial. But thankfully, all the actors I worked with were great and I never had any problems. But I know a lot of actors who really could benefit. Well, has this, okay, so this is interesting. Has, has this work as actors, right? Because like, all right, we have a scene that's written. You guys both meet each other for the first time and, the, and it's written in the script that, you know, y- your long lost loves and you guys are going to like violently 
make out with each other in this entire fucking process, right? And if it's me writing it, it would probably, description would probably say, violently make out with each other. Mm-hmm. Like how, first off, it's got to be an incredibly awkward thing to sort of meet each other for the first mm-hmm. time and then find those boundaries and, and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have a method or process or are you? Yeah, I mean, I just had like a, a short film I did like a month ago where I had to have like a fiance and stuff like that. And we had like a lot of conversations about like, okay, yeah, this is okay. This is where I, you can touch me here. You can touch me here. I prefer that you don't touch me here. Like this is, and thankfully he was really chill about it and very um, concerned. You know, he's like, I want to make sure you're comfortable and stuff. So that was really nice. But yeah, just kind of getting on the same page about like, um, also we had like a phone call beforehand too, so that we were able to get to know each other a little bit. Cause you do have to create romance and like emotional intimacy with someone yeah. you've just met and that yeah. can be really difficult. So, um, we had like a two and a half hour, like FaceTime where we just like, tell me everything about this. Tell me everything about this. Like, I want to feel like I know you. Mm-hmm. That helped a lot. And then, um, we actually spent some time after we got to set, like, is it okay if I just like touch you? Can I just like put my hand on your knee? Can I put it on and like asking so that we could feel physically comfortable with each other? And then we were like, okay, from here on, we're like, did like a knuckle punch in like, all right, we're in character. You're allowed to act like my fiance. I'm allowed to act like yours, you know, touch me, put your arm around me, whatever. And then as soon as we like knuckle punch out, then we're out of character and we're back to you. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. I like that a lot actually, because it's a really good way of having that sort of gateway in and out. Cause there's, it's such a slippery slope, especially if you're going in, it's like a rehearsal period and you're going, okay, we're going to rehearse the lines today. Great. And so all in the part in the scene, there's this kiss. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to kiss right now in the rehearsal? Is that weird? <laughs> then like, who brings that up? There's a guy, you're like, I'm not fucking bringing that up. I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah, anything. I don't want to sound too eager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so at uh, about line six, we're supposed to block lips. And uh, I brought my chapstick, if you didn't notice. <laughs> just in case. Like, it's it's weird. It's very uncomfortable. You start pumping um, mints ahead of time. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. I, mean, I literally, literally had this happen where I was rehearsing a scene, and the actress was like, um, hey, I'm almost to your place. Do you have any mints? Why? <laughs> I mean, we don't need to like be that close to read the lines. Oh, because we have that part in the scene. Are we doing that in rehearsal? And, and it's just like there's such a slippery slope where you're like, is this, wh- at what point is the boundary of being professional? And then like, who's getting something out of this at a certain point where you're like, all right, yeah, that's, all right, what's happening now? Well, I have nothing. Okay, I said this all the time. I have nothing but respect for actors. And I think that, I think having the, the courage is a good word. I think having the courage to stand in front of me and all of the other salty, most of the time dudes standing around lights um, and to be honest and to cry mm. and to do stuff that is awkward and to do stuff that's embarrassing and to mm. do stuff that you would never do in your, your life. There's, there's nothing but respect for that. And mm. then trying to create environments in which you feel safe doing that mm-hmm. and uh, you feel like uh, it's okay for that to be. That's the hardest challenge for us yeah. as, a, as directors is like, how do we create this environment where you can play and you can exist in this space? But then also I'm always, because we talked a bit about it with the feature guys, um, when you get on the films and shorts kind of suck, right? Cause you get, you get started and then you're like, shit, this is so cool. How come we're not doing this for three weeks, four weeks? Because then you start to feel like this, energy and this camaraderie and then all of a sudden like there are like onset relationships that start to form because everybody is so invested with it and and I, i'm always like looking at actors especially actors that have to play relationships and have to be so mm. close it's like how do you not 
how how does the reality not start to yeah. seep into the performance? You know? Yeah, and then then outside of that, it's you know if you're in a relationship in your own personal life, there's navigating that thing where if you're if you're not an actor dating an actor, don't. Um, <laughs> but if you're dating someone who's not a, a performer, then there's also the aspect of do they understand that this is just the job and you can turn it off when you leave. Because the unfortunate side effect of our business is you see all the tabloids of this mega star was doing this film and they were opposite this star and now they're getting divorced because they fell in love on set and you're like, motherfucker, oh, it's going to make this so much harder when I go home now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be tough because, and then at the end of the day when they finally watch the movie, if the movie's yeah. done correctly and it's it's good, then you buy that like yep. it's real. Yeah. I mean, have you ever had to deal with that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, thankfully I've, I've actually been single every time I've had like a romantic scene or whatever, but I have always had scenes with partners who were either married or in a relationship. And it, yeah, it's really like, I mean, it's something you have to let go of because like obviously I feel stressed. Like I hope she knows, like I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to steal your man or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a little awkward and uh, I've had to play like a serious relationship with a guy who was married and um but also, yeah, you, you kind of just have this level of respect. The second, like, you could be making out with this person, the second cut is called, you're like, all right, great. You know what I mean? There's no, like, mm-hmm. lingering. There's no, like, so what are you doing later? Like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. and like you said, that you have to be with someone that has, like, that level of understanding, too. Um, otherwise, like, you're probably dating the wrong person if they can't. You know, respect that, that or understand that. But. That doesn't happen with sound guys, by the way. We don't. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's surprising. You don't I see those in the tabloids, like you know, <laughs> in the closet in the back. Jennifer <laughs> Aniston caught with boom op in the closet. You don't see it. It's usually grips and makeup. That's that's the problem. I actually love sound guys on set because, especially when you're laved up, if the sound guy's far enough away. I love just talking shit to the sound techs. Sound, yeah. Like, so, look at this by the way, sound guy here's hat. The, the, yeah. the sound mixer knows. The way everything. people forget that too. Like, bro, you're still on the fucking mic. What are you doing? Yeah, you're talking shit. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of celebrities that got canceled yeah. because of that shit. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard celebrities talking about their upcoming divorce. They're not in the scene, they're in another room, but they forget that their mic is still connected to the yeah. recorder. Yeah. yeah. I've had plenty of times somebody starts talking to me in the room. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know you enough to know if you give, you should give a fuck about saying that on an open mic, but you should probably shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I don't want to be known as the person in the room with you when you're saying this. So Lance Williams, <laughs> microphone that canceled. Right. Such sh- such. Stop. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Stop saying my name when you talk to me about it. <laughs> oh, and when you see those things that were leaked, you know, yeah. that means yeah. they were mad, they were mean to the sound mixer. Yes. Because who who Ooh. leaked it? I mean, who had it, right? Yes. Uh, so uh uh what's his face? Uh who had the big rant? Uh, uh, Batman. It was uh, uh it was uh it was uh, Christian Bell. Yeah. Oh, Christian yeah. Bale was not nice to his sound mixer, that yeah, I can tell you. Yeah. Not that I don't disagree with what Christian Bale was saying. I think what, as mm. an actor, I think what he was saying was accurate. But he obviously pissed off his sound mixer because that's yeah. how that got out. And yeah. uh, I, I had that guy on the show, by the way. So we did do an episode with the guy he was yelling at on that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So for those of you who know Hollywood Magic, go through the lineup of episodes. You'll figure out what which guy that is. What's that? He was the right? Yeah, yeah. We're giving away some stuff, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Was that not supposed Shubra, to be everybody? It's, Shubra. it's on tape. He was—he wasn't the cinematographer. Sorry, I cut that back. 
Well, I mean, it's it's quite obvious. When he was on the show, I kept being like, so I hear that you've been on some tough shoots. I didn't want to be the dick. And he was just like, yeah. And I go, did you do Batman? And he was just like, rah, 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 change subject. And I was like, oh, okay, brother. All right. Yeah. Uh, can, can I ask a question for our actors in the room? And and also, I guess, for, for everyone. But I'm curious for... Uh, for all directors, even like you know, inexperienced first-time directors, whatever it is, what what can directors do to like create foster environments to help actors feel comfortable? Because I think like mm. my biggest fear, and I think a lot of directors' biggest fears are like, is my actor feeling something that I'm not aware of that they don't feel comfortable enough to express? Because mm. I think that can like so seeds of like discord. And so I'm I'm just curious, kind of like what your perspectives are on that kind of thing. The best bet is to and this is going to sound silly but i think if you can really see what it is treat us like children and when i say that i mean our whole goal is getting back to the place that we were as children where everything is magical you i could tell a kid right now there's an entire tea set right there i'm a bear and there's a monster in the woods and I lead me to it so I can destroy it. And that kid will fucking give you that that whole reality a hundred different ways every single time and fully commit to it, right? That's how we play as kids. As an adult, when you're acting, you're essentially trying your best to get back to that place where you can fully live and play with all that imagination and reality as emotionally available and as present with whatever the circumstances are. And those things change, right? Like the we're adjusting this shot or there's this lingering time in between things you're waiting to get into it, to get out of it. There's, a, there's this intimacy scene or, or the, now there's an emotional scene. We'll stop it here, but then bring it back here. And I would say that the, treat it the same way. If we are pushing to get back to that place where we feel as children, where we have access to that freedom and imagination, then treat it that same way. I'm not going to talk to us like we're kids, but that same kind of care, right? If, if, uh, if, if you see this kid crying, you don't necessarily coddle the fucking kid, but you have compassion towards what the kid is going through and, and you treat it with respect. Same thing. Is just approaching it that way because I think it's it's really difficult to lay down specific ground rules for directors because every actor is different. What every actor needs is different. You know, some it's like going to the gym. Some people want to get screamed at, and that's what gets them there. Other people want something a little more calm. It's the same thing. You know, if one actor feels like you know, I I really like having a director who's willing to get in here and like go through this whole process and build the character. Some directors are like your process is what you do once you get the script and I'm going to build the fucking thing before that and then you figure it out. And that's fine. It's just figuring out what works. At the end of the day, at the core of it is just find that compassion for what it is that we're doing and have the patience and listen to what our ideas are. Empathy is a big deal. Empathy. And let me let's ask you, Kelsey, because not only are you uh, a director, but you've been an actor and now you have to direct other actors. So what's the deal? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I, I, um, I think that's really a beautiful way to put it is because we're... We are trying to get down to the essence of like what is the emotion and you're creating like a fictional reality and like these, you know, so there's so much. Um, yeah, empathy, I think, is a great, great word for that. Um, but like more from like a technical, what is something I can do to build a relationship with my actor kind of thing? I always have the best time working with directors who and you may not always have this opportunity, but I've had a few directors that have like reached out to me ahead of time and said, hey, like can we have like a, you know, FaceTime call or can we jump on the call, a phone mm-hmm. or whatever? And, um, you know, I just worked with JC McNaughton on Sweet Molly, who Patrick is actually doing the, you're doing the final sound for, which is cool. And um, she's he, really good in it, by the way. Oh, yeah, thanks. There you, so go. Nice. there you go. But um, one thing I really liked about working with him was the amount of contact I had with him before we even got to set. 
and I was I heard from him pretty frequently. We could text. We were on Zoom calls. We like I feel like I knew him before I even met him. And mm-hmm. by the time I got to set, I had this like rapport with him that like I felt like I could say pretty much anything I needed to to him, and he felt like he could talk to me. However, you know, and um, and we have a great you know friendship now, even after that's over too. So uh, that was like a really good example to me of someone I just worked with that I I felt did a great job at that. Um, and then, yeah, to go from being an actor to like, okay, now I'm the one who has to communicate with an actor. Joey, who plays the lead box boy, is one of my really good friends. So that did help because we already knew each other really well. Um, I also met him at Film Quest in 2019, going back to what you said about like a Film Quest film. This mm-hmm. one started at Film Quest too. But anyways, um, yeah, I think for directing him, it was kind of what you said, Lance, just getting to the essence of like, what is going through this character's what is his like emotion right now? Um, what parts of his world are like are falling apart? What p- parts of his world is he trying to rebuild? You know. Yeah. And um, I guess like speaking to him the way that I would like to be spoken to as an actor. <laughs> you know. Um, and I still have a lot to learn. Don't get me wrong. Like I am not a perfect director by any means, but I think it was nice to be able to be like, okay, well, I am an actor, so I do know how um, to communicate. I think you know in the way that I would like to be communicated with at least. Uh, so yeah, and I, I'll continue to learn as I continue to direct how to how to do that better for sure. I think a lot of actors like to hear that there's an actor, like there's an actor that is directing because they feel like there's a sense of confidence. Yeah. And then to connect with you on this, from my perspective, you know, because when I started in this business, I was a cinematographer in this business, and so when you when you come in from that angle, there are, it's two different worlds, right? For so sure. if you're if you're talking in lighting and cinematography, you can go to your uh, your electrician and go go over to that sky panel and turn that down nineteen percent, and they'll go over and turn it down nineteen percent, and suddenly whoo, you have what it is that you need. I can't go to the actors and go, hey, will you turn that up nineteen percent for me? <laughs> and so like it's it's a whole different mindset, and it took me a long time to figure out how to do both. And um, in, in the beginning for me, the big joke with me is that in the <laughs> when I started. I saw actors as unicorns and I was afraid to scare a little flock of unicorns away. And so I didn't want to go over and say the wrong fucking thing. But what happened with uh, our film, and I'll continue to plug our work because why not? But what happened with our film on Come Home is that Lance and I, being friends for so long, we fell in love with Judith Weston's books, mm. which was directing actors. We really fell deep into that. It was during COVID and we were dealing with depression and everything else that was going on. And so we just were going through it. As I read her books, I really started to have imposter syndrome. I was like, how the fuck have I ever called myself a director? And how lucky have I been in the past that I've had actors that could translate what this Neanderthal was fucking smashing into their faces? You know what I mean? Mm. And so when we went through the process of, of looking at this book and working together, and we really worked together on figuring out how to develop a character, we spent months on it. How yeah. many months? Oh, God. Like if We initially talked about Mo when you first moved to LA and we were talking about the other project yeah, um, and it was just, it turned that turned into just going, look, we had like a worksheet where we were breaking down what makes for a character and then sort of investigating other people we knew in our personal lives and going, okay, how do you sort of reverse engineer that into creating a character? Um, and then from there getting to the Judas book, it just, it was so mind blowing going, especially like as an actor, cause like, I don't fucking know what makes for a good director. I have no fucking clue. Cause like, that's not what I do. And so I was like, okay, I'm learning these tools here. But then I, I just kept telling other actors, like, you should read or listen to this book because not only does it help inform you about what the director's process is, and I'm a huge advocate of 
again, go PA, go get on set, empathize with other people's jobs so you can understand what it takes. You cannot just live in the perspective of the trailer and the set and action and cut and fuck off. You have to understand what's happening around you. And this was so revealing in terms of this is what the experience for the director is like. And now having listened to the book and then workshopped it with Mike, an incredible shorthand. You know, and then also you, as an actor, you're looking at it going, oh, OK, so, yeah, when I look at this text, I should be thinking about some of the stuff, too. Like it, there's definitely gems in there for the actor. But, yeah, it was it was I would say at least a year of just off and on chipping away at Mo and then Judith Weston's book comes and then probably another several months after that. And, you know, what's crazy. The side effect of it is this. We were just screening it downstairs for the guys that weren't going to be able to see it yesterday. And uh, we have downstairs, we'll show you guys, it's a big fucking screening room, 96-inch TV. Jesus. Like any new, t- yeah. any new TV, right? It has the fucking like smooth motion bullshit, like color bullshit on it. And so like we're downstairs and we load it up there and there's a group of dudes that I just like you guys. We all hung out and we're talking about our movies. And the cinematographer and the director side of me sees that fucking thing come up on that screen and I go, I'm like, and there's a piece in my brain where I'm like, we're not going to fucking screen this this way. But I just stopped and I went, "Mm, let's see how it plays. And so we screened it. And these are tough dudes Mm -hmm. from Scotland. They know their shit. They're from Scotland. And we we screened this thing and we stop and I turn and the watery eyes and, (laughs) you know, and all these days. And that's the side effect. So we spend so much time and energy trying to make our stuff look good. And there are so many people out there that are like, what fucking camera did you use? And and all that kind of stuff, right? And everybody gets pumped about that. But at the end of the day, this is what makes great movies and great cinema. And the the more research you do into director's prep, like, do you know know what director's prep is? Like, ultimately, all you're doing, and there's a lot of head shaking, all you're doing is you're trying to figure out every variable that might happen that day and the mind-blowing thing is is that i'm not writing things down to tell actors what to do i'm not like you're gonna go from here to here to here to Mm -hmm. here to here i'm thinking about that but when i'm writing down our questions that i'm going to ask them to lead them to those places and questions that i'm going to ask myself And, and then you start to realize as a director as you mature that you don't have to be the guy on set that has all the fucking answers. You don't have to be the woman on set that was born out of her mother as a fucking genius because it doesn't really exist. What you are at that point is a collaborator and you have the ability to ask questions and get people to mine out of their own life experiences, their own stuff, something new that is so beautiful and that's what we're there for. I'll tell you this, man, the shit I write down on a notepad when I start sucks. And it isn't until I work with all these mm-hmm. really great people around me and we find these little elements and nuggets, I got credit for it all, but they all find it, you know? I just want to, you kind of touched on what I was going to add back to the question of, you know, how do you get there? Um, I think trust is what we're talking about, right? Trust yeah. between oh, yeah. a director and an actor or between two actors. Mm-hmm. Or, and one way that trust happens is by working with people you've already worked with, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a great way to build trust. I, you know, yes. in, in my film, I was directing my wife. And if she doesn't trust me at this point, man, we're, we're in trouble. But also you can't fuck it up. Yeah, not right. But, but the, the, I think a lot of beginning filmmakers forget that when you don't have the trust going into it, you're a new relationship. Preparation is how you develop trust initially. Yes. And yeah. I think a lot of first time film 
film theater directors already get this, but I think film directors think that the magic happens in the moment on the set. And if you, I don't want it to be here. Oh, I don't want it to be over rehearsed. I don't want to make it fall. You know, I don't. And then they don't rehearse it. And then the, and then you leave the pressure on the actors in the moment to suddenly create magic. Yeah, and you've yeah. got 50 people on set looking at them and they never rehearsed it and they don't know what the hell they're going to do, where they're going to stand, who they're going to look at. Yeah. And and then they don't, they're worried that they're not going to be able to deliver and they tighten up. And as soon as I see an actor start to, I'm kind of scrunching myself here on Rhino Work podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when an actor tightens up it. physically, yeah. it's hard. So if they're, but if you're prepped, if yeah. you've rehearsed, if you've talked character, if you've gone through the camera angles and you've told them like what the shots are going to be and they know what parts of, parts of their body are going to be seen on screen, if you give them all that information and they feel confident now, this guy knows or this gal knows what she's talking about, yeah. now I can just relax and let it flow. Yeah. And then oftentimes you'll do that, that, we call it the play take. You do the take as scripted, mm-hmm. you get it down, you've got, we got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's see what kind of other stuff. Yeah, and I think it, for directors listening, be really careful with the oh we don't rehearse because it's it's so easy for that to feel like you just don't give a fuck yeah <laughs> ah, i'm too busy because as an actor you hear that you go oh they're too busy oh oh my character i get it my, my scene's not that important right, right 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 because i just have this part and it's not that big a deal i'll just come into my thing and all of a sudden all those choices all those ideas all that shit goes away because you go right 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 i'm just gonna come in and do this thing and like it's fine and uh it all it immediately just it, it it's only harmful if you if you absolutely can't totally understandable but if it's out of laziness fuck that do the job man or out of insecurity man right because that's a big part of it and yeah. with, we talked about this on the last episode i think yeah, good point. but like uh i think uh we talk about assholes in this business and we talk about uh why they sort of exist and it's all based upon insecurity and i think that the sooner that you can get over your insecurities on set the sooner and i'm drilling this into you the sooner that you understand that it's not your place to know everything you're not a fucking genius you weren't born a genius i don't care (laughs) what people write about you i don't care if you're like don't read your own press and it's a weird world we live in right because when we're pitching movies and we're trying to get money you have to go in there like you're a fucking genius it's bullshit that's what you're doing you're selling bullshit to make money walk out of the room make sure that you have friends around you that go you're full of shit man because you need to be brought back down if you can karate chop that out of your life then you won't be an asshole you won't be someone that is on set insecurely yelling at people and this is my idea meanwhile they haven't done any prep on it you know what i mean Mm, yeah that's a really good point i was just gonna add to the i really appreciate that perspective by the way i think that's super valuable because oftentimes you do feel this pressure as like the director you have to have all the answers and you have to know how everything's gonna go when in reality you're just like you know kind of like pivoting and figuring it out as you go and that is having that like humility is like part of what makes you a better collaborator, I think. So anyway, yeah, I was just going to add to the um, preparation thing. Cause you were asking like, how do we help actors be prepared? And I thought about this after the fact, like one of the most interesting things that a director has done too. Um, I worked with Jim Cummings on a movie and he does a podcast version of the script, which is really interesting to help hmm. you like prepare every single person in your cast and crew because you're listening to the director's like podcast reading of the script and then everyone comes to set like kind of knowing like oh this is what this you know he's envisioning for this scene or for this character or whatever so wait 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 hold on so he reads it all yeah or, oh weird no it's i mean it was cool like it was very helpful you know you kind That's of hear cool. like the beats you hear like the changes of you know the character and kind of 
like what he's envisioning for that moment and it, of course you're, there's still collaboration on set but like just having that it was a very interesting tool like, interesting yeah going back to the preparation thing so does he like speak in all the different voices yeah a lot of times <laughs> yeah wow. he doesn't go like too crazy with it but he'll like you know up a couple octaves or whatever that's cool that's well, very yeah. cool and i would imagine on the note of rehearsal like um if if you don't have the opportunity to rehearse like with the other actors and with the director like it starts to feel less like a collaboration i mean I, yeah. i'm just assuming i'm not an actor but i would assume um if, if you're just kind of thrown into the mix, like it doesn't feel like a, like a partnership necessarily unless more just like someone asking you to do something. But I, I don't know. I'm curious on your perspectives on, on that kind of thing. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, I, I love working with directors that like trust me, you know, because we've done our work. We've done our process. We've created our character. And then we still have to be like malleable to what the director, you know, ultimately it's his, his or her vision. But um, yeah, to know that your director trusts you also is like that means a lot and gives you the ability to play with it and kind of like what you said too that they also view this character as important as well like helps you feel um the excitement over doing that work you know so having that trust i think is is very important uh Subra, i had a question for you in regards to this so sure. with your your piece in particular there's a your your i would say both characters have a a pretty heavy headspace to exist in was it what was was there a rehearsal process is that sort of required by usc or is that more of your your approach right it's not required by usc by any means uh but i extensively rehearsed mm. i i actually feel that the more you rehearse and the more you get it done like prior to getting on set the more flexibility and freedom the actors actually get on set mm. um i felt that they were a lot they were because they did they went through the process and like well, Randy, who played the grandma, she was sort of like, I, I, I'm worried about doing it too many times, like certain aspects of it, just because it won't be fresh. But my experience with working with actors has been that do it too many times, we're any going to have a week between the shoot and 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 the rehearsals. Mm-hmm. When you get there, it's the the lines and the and the and like the performance aspect of it will be in the back of your head and it's going to feel more real when you're there. I don't know if this makes sense. It makes no, it sense. But it um but so we were able to play a lot more cuz as a director then I was watching them do their thing and it was just tweaks and it was like trying things mm-hmm. versus hey, we need to get what's on the page done. Because with student films and with short films often you don't have enough days we had to shoot it. I mean, I we had 5 days which was a lot because it was one house. Um, and hearing you talk about getting houses where people, they gouged us. Um, <laughs> I shot in LA. They, they, they bled us dry. Um, uh, LA film. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to shoot, shoot in Utah, they'll like bake you bread and stuff. That's the, you guys that's are so the, nice wow. here. You guys are so nice. It's incredible. I'm from the East Coast. I don't believe any of it, though. <laughs> I don't Cynicism. believe any of it. Come yeah. for the location, stay for the bread. Yeah. So, all right, but let me ask you, so what's your rehearsal? What were your rehearsals like? Are you like, come on over to my house, we all hang out, and what was the deal? So we did uh, a couple at USC. We booked a room, and uh, you could book it for like two hours at a time. And so mm-hmm. we booked the room, and then we did. I actually rehearsed with all. It wasn't just the two of them. There was another character that was in the film that's cut, that's not in the movie anymore. So we did all of their scenes, mm-hmm. um, and we rehearsed the whole movie outside of the 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 intimacy stuff that they did with the intimacy coordinator. They had a special rehearsal for that as well. Yeah, um, where they sort of blocked it out. It was difficult to do that more. That was more of a conversation. As as I don't know. Did you say you worked with an intimacy coordinator? Um, I, I but it was sort of the conversation that you, that you talked about where you where they sort of worked out what they're comfortable with yeah, and yeah. sort of getting in that space. 
but yeah, it was all at USC, and then the and one of them was at a producer's house. Interesting. Um, so now, okay, so was was this your first film? This wasn't your first. No, film. it wasn't my first film. And you've done uh, a bunch of stuff, right? I've, I've done some stuff before. Yeah. yeah okay. So let me ask you this question: Is there something that you will do different about your rehearsals next time? Is there something that you learned on this one? It changes for me with film, from film to film, honestly. Um, this one merited a lot of rehearsal because of the, 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 the heaviness of the subject matter and my approach to it. Um, the next thing I'm doing is more sort of action-oriented. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Outside of the stunt side of things, I don't know how much I'm going to actually rehearse the actual... Why are you thinking this way? Because in that situation, I think that the spontaneity of it is important. I mean, we will rehearse, but mm-hmm. not to the extent that I did with this. With this, I like we went over it several times. We had like three. Why do you think that was? Were you nervous about the subject matter? I was very nervous about the subject matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, I had one of my professors. Um, pardon my French. She was like, "If you're gonna sh- do it, fucking do it." Like I, I I wrote the script, and then I was sort of in the early stages of talking to actors and talking to crew. Right, I was like kind of shy it's about awkward. it. I was, yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. like, I was like, mm, am I okay to say this? Yeah, you want to fuck your grandma? Like how do you yeah, start that conversation? Yeah. How, do you, how do you fucking have that conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote the fucking thing and then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to tell people about this. I'm going to have to talk about it. Fuck. Um, so, so then she, she came over and she was like, listen, if you're going to fucking do it, do it. Like, yeah, yeah, go, yeah. go all out. Tell them what you need to tell them. Yeah. Ask them what you need. And yeah. the people that, that are applying to do, work on this, they're game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I was more nervous about this. I'm a little less. I mean, the, the next one's kind of fucked up as well, but like, it's it's not. As well, dude, let me be a hundred percent honest with you, right? I am so excited to be able to talk to you about this because I feel like when I watched the movie, I felt a certain way, and now that I'm talking to you about these things, I feel a different way about it because with a film like this, it's you you feel like it could be done for shock value. Like you 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 either like a, what's his name Todd. Oh God, the guy who did the oh my, it's a terrible host. It just went out of my mind. But there's a but there's a bunch of films that do shocking stuff that you feel like that's the draw. Mm-hmm. That's why they're doing it. It's the shocking thing. And sometimes when you watch that, you you kind of go, "Is there more of this?" Um, and uh, listening to your process and everything else on it, like I feel like it's changed my uh, initial opinion on how mm-hmm. I felt when I first watched right. the movie, yeah. which is interesting. Um, do you? Is this your thing? Are you going to be a shocking filmmaker, or are you? Uh, it dep- it depends honestly. I mean, with this one, I made it for for like I was going nuts during COVID, and I was like, I want to do something fucking crazy. Yeah, that um, makes sense. and so we so we went down this route. But I I I, I knew that we were going to have this conversation about the shock value thing because a lot of times that is sort of the way the film is perceived off like even off the log line. Well, you can't be like, fucking surprised, and, by and it. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but I never approached it as a filmmaker in that way. Mm-hmm. Like not not even from like the initial script stage. I wanted it to hold its own and do its thing Mm -hmm. and um it's interesting hearing you guys talk about not moralizing this is a completely different film Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't really moralize anything it's it doesn't it doesn't take a stance on pro or it really does against it doesn't um so yeah i mean i i I want to sort of more than being a shocking filmmaker i want to be a filmmaker where you watch a movie watch my movie and you can fucking love it or you can hate it but you're gonna feel something you yeah. can walk out of there and be like, I fucking hated this guy's shit, but you're going to feel... I, my biggest fear, and I feel like a lot of people, as, a, a lot of us as filmmakers, we feel this, and actors as well, I'm sure. We don't want to sort of have people watch our shit and just be like, yeah, that was fine. And just like, exactly. Because then you're... Exactly. And let, let, me, let me ask this question of everybody here. Because this is something that's a, that, that I feel like is an important fight to fight right now. 
because we currently live in a time period in our industry where it's all about the delivery system for our media, not necessarily about the people that are making our media. And the most important thing out there is whether or not a specific logo is showing up in front of it. And they're sort of taking the highlight of all that stuff. And we've seen this with certain things that have happened with, let's say, you know, certain streamers like HBO Max, like these places that are suddenly taking the director's name off of films and just putting the films up and claiming it's part of their own lineup. Now, there is this big fear of being a young filmmaker and how are you recognized and will an audience recognize you? And do you all want audiences to see your thing and go, hey, this is Patrick's movie initially, or do you want to be in the background and not really be seen for your films? There we I'll, go. I'll, I can, I'll take that one. I feel like, um, at least for me, you can't really take those types of considerations into the process. Like for me, the process is all about just finding the truth of the thing that you're after. And, and it's really easy f for me and I think for a lot of people to get caught up about like, um, how is this going to be perceived or what audience is this going to reach? And I feel like the moment that you s sort of start asking those questions, it, it, starts, it sort of starts to influence the thing that you're making. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like as a filmmaker and as just as an artist, um, it's very important to uh, keep those distractions out of the way, at least like while you're making the thing. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, you obviously you have to worry about marketing your film and you, you have to worry about uh, f making money back. But, but ultimately it's, I think the way you make the best thing is just by eliminating those sorts of distractions and just focusing on, on the thing at hand. But I, yeah. Let me jump in here real quick before we continue and sort of expand this a bit. I agree with you. And I think I've had a lot of people come to me and they say, when I see your stuff, I know immediately it's your style. I don't set out to do my style. What ends up happening is, is that as we work, we make mistakes. And as we do things, the way we repair those mistakes suddenly become what we're known for. So people are like, how the fuck do you do that with the camera? It's like, oh, I fucked that up. And then in the edit, that's what I made. And that becomes what it is. And what we, I think each of us as filmmakers, whether we're talking about rehearsal, we're talking about how we work with actors, we start to build a toolbox. We start to have a box of things that's right next to us. So that way when we're on the set and the locations person's running in the room saying, my kids are coming home, you guys get the fuck out of here. You reach into that box of tools and you figure out how to get through the setups. And then what you do there oftentimes is the most exciting thing in your fucking movie. Uh, look at the dudes that did the hand movie, the talk to me movie yeah. or whatever. That whole sequence that they love was them trying to get out of a space because they didn't have enough time. So they fell back on the shit that they used to do on YouTube and they made that and that's what they're known for. So what I'm saying, what I, I guess the question that I was asking wasn't necessarily... Um, do you feel like you have to inject yourself into your work? But do you feel like you want to be known for your work? And as we sat through that meeting with those fucking sales agents, which is the most depressing thing in the world, um, and I'm going to get them on the show to try to blow that up a little bit. But like when you hear that sort of thing, you ultimately myself speaking, I want to be the draw. I want to be the guy that my name will get fucking money. And do you guys feel that way? Go I'll go because I've been doing this a long time, I guess. So I've had more, you know, to me, the the friction in filmmaking and, and it goes to television too is it's art and commerce Make. crashing together at a level higher than any other art form, right? People don't spend millions of dollars writing a book. I mean, maybe someone has, but whoever that, you know what I mean? You know, that'd be a great book. I mean, yeah, I'd like to know what that book is, but you know, no other art form requires 
$150 million up front before we can see the finished product and know whether the art we made was any good or not. Yeah. So there's a certain level of ego that's required for a longevity in the career, right? Within the art, I think there are different styles. So my personal directing style is one where you probably don't even realize there was a director. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that there's... So the, the lack of style is my style, if that makes sense. That's cool. Right? So I'm, I'm more about... I pride myself on working with the actors and most of my films, even when it's mom doing stuff in the basement, it's still kind of a sweet in the end kind of, <laughs> kind of story. Um, so it sounds like you have a signature, whether or not you want to. Have yeah. So what I'm saying is there's a, there's a signature and a style to it, but it's maybe not as bold and upfront, mm-hmm. but I do think it's important to market yourself if you want to have a career. And that's, that's the challenge of you still have to treat it as a business because at the end of the day, you know, if you, I mean, if you're fine just making films that you do with your friends and you have no budget for them, you just shoot them, you know, you, you do it with the cardboard boxes, like uh, the last movie ever made, which I loved, which was here at Film Quest. Or like a box movie over yeah, here. Or the box movie. <laughs> like, like if, if that's what you want to make, that's awesome. And actually, I think you'll probably much be much happier in life yeah, if yeah. that's the kind of thing you want to do. Yeah. I know a lot of people who have a career and they do something else and then they make their films or their art or whatever the art is. And that makes them happy. If you want to do it as a career and actually make money at it so you don't have to do other things, you, you have to have a certain amount of ego and you have to have people know, oh, I want this person to direct yeah. my film because, man, this film and this film and this film they did are great. And that's the thing is you have to have multiple films, right? Because anybody can make one great movie. great movie and you're like, but when you've made two or three, then people will take notice and be like, oh. So I know with financing all the time, a first-time director brings nothing yeah. to the table whatsoever. Yeah. But if you've made three films that have made companies money, well, that's now we're the, talking. That was the thing from the sales agents that were what was fascinating, and and a lot of it makes a lot of sense. What they were saying for those of you listening, they were saying that uh, if you're a first-time filmmaker and you're going to make a drama, it's basically suicide for you to, to make a drama and try to make money back on it. Was what they were saying, yeah. and they're saying that uh, what was the what was the thing? It was like. Wasp, wash, wash, yeah. Western so, action, sci-fi, horror. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and so, I think being a guy that's made a bunch of proof of concept stuff, I've got a bunch of movies that are in development right now, and like I'm also on the verge of just making an indie. I think the most important thing that I'm going to try to do is do a genre piece that is sellable so that I can make that cash back but it's also a piece in which I don't ask for too much money so that I can inject all my fucking shit into that piece and try to make it into uh, like and actually negotiate my name over the title of the piece like John Carpenter's name is over the title of that piece and just go boom 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 and being a comic book nerd that's what I loved I mm. I would follow artists in comic books I will follow writers in comic books mm-hmm. and I really miss the auteur Hollywood that used to exist and it's now the Silicon Valley Hollywood that exists and it would just be nice if all of us young filmmakers can be like fuck you like like here's our movies and here's what we want to do and recognize that the the voice and the storyteller behind this is what is drawing the audience in and the actors Mm. more importantly the actors and if it's a face that everybody wants to pay for listen it's it's a similar feeling because like in the same way you're trying to discover what your voice is and you know is how do you consistently do that thing? Is that something you're even interested in doing? 
as actors, the same thing where you're like, okay, I have this voice of like what movies I pick and what that says. But then also in the performance I do, you're always trying to avoid, am I just doing the thing that's just my thing? Am I, uh, am I really tapped into this enough or am I just going, you doing, ah. the, you doing the David Caruso? Yeah, yeah. Or even look at like what um, Nolan said with uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer where it's like, you know, I, I love what you do. You draw people in. You're great. But for this role, I need you to bring something else to the table. Yeah. And that's the challenge of it, but that's also the job. And, and it, part of that, it, part of what comes with it and drives it, I think, is the fear of like, you don't want to get up there and do your thing, uh, especially like, let's say, for example, let alone up getting to the point of the career. But let's say you're just at the level where like, right now, I'm just in acting class. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And you're in there with the same people twice a week. They see what you do. And he gets up here and he does this big fucking thing with his hands and he's always eccentric and he finds some moment to scream. Okay, Lance, we get it. And you go, yeah, guys, well, I'm trying some shit. I'm trying to be brave. Hey, don't don't talk trash about your performance. We're about, there's a reason why you didn't win. Oh, no, I'm fucking great. I'm fucking great in the short. I'm terrible in class. That's where you go to suck. <laughs> but it's that thing of like, you know, like, ah, man, like, am I going to be known just for this one thing yeah. or can I find a different gear? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, where are we at? We're, we're pushing our limits here. We're pushing our limits. Push we're about it too, yeah. yeah. A lot of time flew. Yeah, man. Isn't yeah. it great? Are you guys yeah. having fun on the show? Hell yeah. Yeah, this is, this is great. Is it great? Do you guys, does anybody else have any other questions? Anything else that you want to talk about? I don't want to. I, I got a quick one. There you go. There okay, you go. my next short, there's two insects that have sex in the short. It's an animated film. Is one of them grandma? Are they both from the same generation? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the grandma's not involved, but could be uh, after this. Uh, I'm just curious, like uh, on the topic of intimacy court, I, I know we talked about that a lot, but um, wh- like, would there be value uh, with like voice actors to like have an intimacy coordinator in the mix? Because, because yeah, they're, they're having sex, they're making the sounds, the noises, uh, any value in like that kind of thing? I mean, it really depends on how explicit you're going with the noises and what you're making them do, and if you're even it's having. Fully explicit, yeah. I mean, ha- having a meeting with one, I think, wouldn't hurt. Like having, like, sit down. I don't think they need to be there if it's voice and if they're doing it in the in a booth. Um, yeah, unless you're putting yeah. wireless microphones on, you're like, get naked and go crazy. Because yeah. yeah. it's just because it's just an additional cost, honestly. Yeah. And, um, and uh, by the way, if you do that, it'll sound like shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, so I've done, I've done obviously a lot of ADR, a lot of voiceover. Um, it still requires support and trust and work mm-hmm. for an actor in an ADR booth. And oftentimes it's, it requires more hmm. yep. because you're taking away their wardrobe, the location, mm-hmm. and the other actor. I've had to do you know, ADR where an actor has to say, I love you to their dying spouse or whatever. And they filmed it and they were wearing period costumes and they were in a, you know, the burnt wreckage of a plane, <laughs> you know, and even though there were a hundred crew people around them in the moment, they were looking at the other person in the, that's great. Point. And now they're in a nicely air conditioned little booth <laughs> and they have to get back to that moment. And so I think the more support you can give an actor, whether it's, talking to an, an MC coordinator or just other things, even though it's, even though no one else is going to be watching them, you know, there's still the voice is tied to the body and we, yeah, it was nip tuck. Of course we had to do a thing where a, a, a guy's, uh, a minor character goes to a, a brothel and he has a cat fetish. And so he's with a prostitute who's pretending to be a cat. And so the, the member of the loop group, Chris had to, do the sounds of the 
cat prostitute. And so she had to do sexy meow sex sounds. And we do, I mean, we work with her every day, but it was like, we started doing it and then we took a little break and I was like, she's like, I need a minute. And then we did it. And after it's like, I was like, I gotta take a shower, man. This is, just, <laughs> I feel, I feel gross being in the room with you yeah. as you make these sex cat sounds. Like, cause she had to move her body and do things. Yeah. You have to yeah, be involved. Yeah. yeah. To do it. So I think, I think the more support you can give the actors to create that performance when they're doing voiceover. I mean, in animation, a lot of times they, they do them with the, the, all the actors are at the same time yeah. just so they can make eye contact yeah. and get a better performance. Yeah. Yeah. And by, by the way, that IMDb credit must be wonderful. Cat prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> Usually you're just additional voices. Star meter just went up a little bit. <laughs> Cat prostitute. Well, no, that's, yeah, that's super helpful because like the, the short itself is like hyper-realist in style. Like it's a family drama um, and, and it's the goal is to like bring out that realism in uh, mm. in the performances and and yeah I think like to have as many professionals like consult in that environment as, as possible uh, it just seems critical so yeah I, I appreciate the uh, it sounds like uh, you're doing the homework the right way brother we try you know it sounds like you're doing the homework the right way anything else if I may I just want to give you guys all your flowers uh, except you Trevor because fuck you uh, no <laughs> Only because we haven't had a chance to see your piece yet. Very much looking forward. I was to I it. was hoping to be roasted, and it finally happened. <laughs> we, so. we saved it for then. We were preheating uh, the oven for you, my friend. But I, I think you guys were highly effective, especially after having this conversation. Now, and what what you were trying to give to us, uh, I, Kelsey, your film, I came away with a lot of hope. Um, uh, Patrick, your film, I had laughs. Uh, and with your film, I was uncomfortable as fuck. And I feel like that's what you set out for. Was this yes. is an uncomfortable? conversation a comfortable topic and we're not supposed to sit there and and come away from it and feel hopeful or have the laughs we're supposed to feel uncomfortable and to me job number one as the filmmaker is give me the audience a feeling and all of you did it successfully so uh much love man thank you that's yeah thank you that's, so that's what filmmakers want right <laughs> very well spoken lance and i gotta say this it has been wonderful talking with all of you i think you know i find myself in a very lucky situation to have a film here and to be amongst peers that are making really great films but then also to be able to do this i mean how often do you get to do this and speak honestly did did you guys learn something new today yes <laughs> like i learned a lot from all of you and i really appreciate you having us on this is like very valuable for me to be able to connect with all of you in this way too that's so, what it's about you. man like it, it, i think being a director can be a lonely lonely job right because you're oftentimes not talking to other directors and we all have the same growing pains and we all have the same weird warts that show up because of the work that we do you know and yeah. you never stop learning it's a cliche but never you and can if you, always learn from people if you did stop learning would you still want to do it that's the million dollar question yeah, once you make the perfect film, what would you do? What the fuck else do you so do? I gotta keep striving for it. I want to be like Clint Eastwood. I want to keel over a craft service table at some point in my life. That's where it's headed for me. That's the dream. That's that's, that's, that's the dream. <laughs> my dream is to die on set. Yeah. With a with a bag of funyuns in my hand. <laughs> Crafty, yeah, take a photo of me. <laughs> I love how for for the gear guys, it's like craft services keeling over. I'm like, I want to go out at the very end of my best monologue, <laughs> right then. Yeah, but make sure yeah. I get all the footage first, and no, I don't no, want to no, no. brand Make sure you get my fall. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap on. Yeah. I don't want to do it. face replacement for you. So make sure you get all of the other stuff down, please. Um, thank you. 
each and every one of you for being on the show. It's much appreciated. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And I hope you find it interesting. These are some of the best episodes we've done. I love being in the mm-hmm. room with filmmakers. Um, and this festival has been very exciting. Um, and uh, we're only on fucking, what, day three? Of, day three. Of 10, uh, 10 or 11? Let's go Film Quest. It's like a feature at this point. Yeah, yeah man. It's like a feature. Yeah. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, remember to follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Remember to follow the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. And uh, make sure you uh, check out InLoveWithTheProcess.com. Click the links from our sponsors in the descriptions below. And I will get from each and every one of you Instagram handles, whatever the hell else. Um, so are all your films just going to be festival running? Are you guys going to be putting any of them out to the public? What's the plans? Start here. Oh, um, as of right now, just, just festival is the goal. I mean, it's the plan, but I'm not opposed to another plan. <laughs> what are you going to, so is the film ever going to end up for people to see? Well, eventually. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it online eventually, but I mean, this is our premiere. Like this is the first we've ever even showed it. So I think we'll, I'll keep it off off the internet for quite a while just so we can have a good festival run but yeah eventually i mean i would love to get it online to one do you want people following you on instagram yes okay what's your instagram handle it's um at kelsey marie edwards s-e-y so kelsey marie edwards pretty much everywhere on youtube tiktok instagram you'll find me perfect (laughs) patrick you what's up man probably the standard thing with a short film you you do festivals you get some buzz about it and then you try to turn that into something else so the last two film quest films uh, I got a, so in the U.S. there's not a big market for short films, but in Europe and other countries, they do actually air short films. So I have distribution Ooh. deals with the two of them. You're not, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to buy a coffee with the, Yeah, I was going to ask. You're not, not going to get rich. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. no, short films are not a way to financial success. Yeah. But it, I have distribution deals with them. Both of them um, I put on the Amaletto channel on YouTube because they get really good. They get a lot of eyeballs. What and, is it? Amaletto. Hmm. It's a short film channel on YouTube. And are they good to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they share in the in the in the money. If you have, you know, if you have your own audience built up online, yeah. and that's the next step I'm personally taking is trying to build my online presence for it's my too bad friends. I, we, I can tell you, I can talk to you about how to do yeah, that. Yeah, well, well, well yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah. But do that, and then, uh, you know, and so I think you know, short films. There's a very short monetization life, and then it's more about getting out and letting people. Yes, see, see your work, work and then hopefully build towards maybe a feature again. Um, my first feature was, remember when you said, don't do a small intimate drama as your first feature? <laughs> well, my first feature film was a small intimate drama. How'd it go now, for you? Uh, well, we made the, we actually signed with a great distributor and we released it in 2008, right as the country went into the worst recession since the Great Depression and the distributor went bankrupt and did a fire sale and so yeah. so the timing was so sometimes you can do everything right and timing just and the sucks. timing just sucks yeah man i'm sorry about but, that uh, but 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 it was a great learning experience and yeah. a lot of things i talked about with contracts and stuff i I've, I've been through it and so i know when i get back to feature level again what, what to play what to do and I'm, I'm on instagram as well as at p patrick hogan we're going to become friends man because i want to know about all your contract things that you had to go through Everybody will lie to you to try to get you to do what they want. That's, that's the, again, show business, not show friends. Yeah, yeah, right. Oof, right. right. All right, let's continue around. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, 
we just started our festival run. So after it's done, hopefully, yeah, I definitely want it out there for people to see. So no, no qualms with that at all. Um, that's the plan. I think there's a certain hungry audience that are listening. They're like, you know, grandmas are cute. Yeah. It sounds, sounds weird. I don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> all the Ari Aster fans are ears oh, yeah. worked up. There you go. Oh yeah, that's another parallel I get a lot with all the Ari Aster. When I, I saw it after the fact, which is weird. Um, yeah, I'm also on Instagram um, at Shubrodas, um, S-U-B-H-R-O. It's counterintuitive to how it's pronounced, but yeah. Great. Uh, the handbook is nearing the end of its festival run. Uh, I think this is our last festival, but it, it, we just uh, played at Bushwick uh, this last weekend. So, nice, dude. Nice. Um, some exciting stuff happening with the handbook that I'm not like quite at liberty to talk about, but uh, f- t- TBD, to be determined. Um, the Black Sheep video, it's been out for a couple months. There's like reaction videos online which is like the first thing i've directed that people have like done reaction videos to which is that's cool which they some of them are like so funny so bizarre it's been like by far one of my favorite parts of the process but uh but yeah that's out for everyone to watch now it's on youtube that's great man um and instagram handles t free film and black rabbit monolith uh at both of those so all right everybody well thanks for being here and uh thank you all for listening I'm going to leave you with Mitch Murder doing a cover of The Cure. See you.